You still there? Oh yeah. You know what I did? I, I oh, you sound so much better. You know what I did? I plugged it into a different USB port. Mm-hmm. I got. I think this is probably the last episode I'll record using this old Air. Oh, are you going to go to the uh, new iMac? No. Well, yeah. I guess I should. I should. I don't know why I don't record using the iMac. I don't know. Yeah, the Air is powerful enough to to do that. Uh, it's probably why the show sounds like shit. Oh. <laughs> 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 no, you know what? And I actually know that this this old MacBook Air that I've used, I, I I do it because I'm in some ways I'm a sentimental idiot, and I think I've recorded like every episode of the talk show for I don't know at least the last three four years using that Air. So I want to keep doing. It. Yeah, I mean, you, you makes, said uh, it makes no technical said, sense. No, none at all. But but you said not too long ago how uh, in baseball, as baseball fans, there are people who are into the numbers and people who are into the story, and that you're a story guy. Right, right, and yeah, you know the MacBook Air's got a got a story. When I stopped using my Rode, I was I was pretty nervous because I was like, I've been using this since forty three folders Mac Break Weekly. Like, you know, it's not so dumb. It's, I'm just changing to a better mic. Like, why would that matter? It shouldn't. But I, I felt like a little bit disloyal. <laughs> what What did you switch to? Well, I tried a couple things. I'm using a Shure SM7B now. It's got a. It's super annoying because I got to go through a. Uh, this uh, pre-Sonus thing. Oh, uh, I don't yeah. want that. I, that, that uh, I think Marco was telling me about that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I, I, you know, I think I just listen to too much rock music. I, when people have these conversations about stuff, I just, I, I just don't hear it. I don't hear what they're talking about. It, and I, it makes me feel like a charlatan. <laughs> like I don't, I, I mean, I can notice in production values, like when like the public radio show with a budget sounds different than three guys talking about Linux, but like, I don't notice that much about mics and stuff. Do you? No, I don't. Yeah. You don't listen to a lot of podcasts though. Oh, I, I mean, I don't listen to a lot, but I listen to enough. But when I do, I'm listening with earbuds. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I don't think, and a lot of times I would say easily, 85% of the time I'm listening to podcasts, I'm walking through the city. So there's right. so much noise. <laughs> you know, it's it's the, the quality of the mic. I mean, I, you know, I, I understand why people make it sound as good as they can, but I could never hear the difference between microphones. Did you, uh, did you ever get your driver's license back? <laughs> what? I didn't lose my driver's license, did I? <laughs> You probably don't remember. It was on an episode of the talk show with Dan, and you, you had the holiday party. <laughs> it's my favorite episode of the talk show. And uh, you talked about how they took your license away. You don't remember. You probably don't remember that. It was the holiday season. It's a lot to remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Why did yeah, they take my you. license away? Uh, oh, I made tickets. it up. I made it up. That's right. <laughs> now I remember. Oh, God. Now I remember. Because you had so many points. Right. I had so and, you, many. and you refused to go to traffic school. And, and Dan, you know, to Dan's credit, he, he, he played the entire episode straight. It was yeah. really funny. Oh, that was a good. That was H- good. HR, HR uh, uh, Fluffy Puff, I think yeah. it's called. And I got, uh, oh, I should write that down for the show notes. I got, uh, I think most people got it, but I definitely got a fair amount of email from listeners who were telling me, hey, you know, you gotta, <laughs> you, maybe you ought to get some help. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, that's not funny. It's not funny racking up all those points, you know. Uh, you know how that hurts the government? <laughs> well, that they, they was, you know, they're like, you know, you're going to learn you're a lesson a when, you, when you hit a kid, you know, crossing the street. Or For something. Christ's sakes, John, you got a kid. Jesus Christ. You know, I, I'm so tired of words. I'm just going to stop saying things. It's just, uh, I, I give up. 
I give up. I'm just going to make grunts and maybe like like sing a little, hum a little tune. But you know, no matter what you say, I made a crack last night on the Twitter about how I wish Netflix in streaming five seasons of MASH, the five good seasons of MASH, how I, I wish they would have it without the laugh track. Hmm. And oh my God, I got so many responses from people on the one hand telling me how, how that's physically impossible since it's hard coded. <laughs> <laughs> and then other people going, so uh, did you know that you could, uh, the DVD tracks? I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I know all of that. I know all of that. I was just making a joke. It's, it's just, it's an ephemeral comment. It's, it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. You must get that like to the 10th power. Especially like when you're being jokey about whatever sports or yeah. technology, you must you must get so many wackadoodle responses from people. Yeah, it goes and flows. I can never predict though. Like I'll I'll post some kind of you know absurd tweet and I'll think, oh god, I'm going to get so many people who take this seriously, and then there's nothing, and then I throw oh one out god. that I'm not even worried about, and everybody you know. John, there is absolutely no way to know. I make I make a lot of uh, news related your mother jokes, and every time I expect incredible blowback, nothing. That's fine. That's awesome. I make one crack about Mash having a laugh track, and like the, <laughs> the entire peanut gallery rises as one. But you know, uh, it's it's good. I'm just tired of words. What was mm. the deal with Mash's laugh track? The way I recall it is, season one there was no laugh track, and it was a ratings. It was it was precipitous. That it was like the ratings were so bad that it was on the border of not coming back for another season, and that they one of the one of the changes they made between season one and season two was they added a laugh track. Yeah, I don't. I, I remember uh, having read because you know it, it, amongst people who enjoy the Mass Show, it's a pretty hot topic um, because you can on the DVDs. I don't own the DVDs. I hate DVDs. I hate physical media. I don't want them in my house. I mean, that's to me, that's my quarter of last resort. Like I've got, I've got all the James Bond films, like everybody, you know, I bought, I bought that hundred dollar Blu-ray right. package. I got that. I got the Godfather. And then I think I got a Dora or something like that, but that, that's about it. And, uh, but yeah, they had an uh, alternate track where you could have the audio without the laugh track. I don't remember exactly how it happened, except, I mean, think about the time. What is that? 72, 73, something like that, where every um, every like three camera sitcom had a live audience. Like you got your all in the families and stuff. And I think, you know, uh, it, it probably seemed a little dead to people. And some of the humor is probably, was probably a little bit dry. It's just that it suddenly became not very dry when there's a very obvious laugh on it. I just, I really hate laugh tracks. Yeah. They just, they, they drive me crazy. And you can actually go and, you know, if you know where to go, I know you don't do these things, but you can find uh, copies of it. And it, it is actually a pretty, different experience you go watch my favorite episode abyssinia henry the one where henry leaves do you remember that episode uh it's the the end of season three um i'm sure it's the one where he dies he gets shot out of the air and it's the episode right before trap uh trapper leaves it was the end of the uh season and it's it's got that amazing scene at the end where radar walks into the operating room and and reads the notice that henry's dead oh it's incredibly moving. And watching that episode without the laugh track is a, is a, is a real different thing because it's one of the great episodes of TV. And, you know, you know it's good. Maybe in a way that people at that time wouldn't know it's good. So it feels a little insulting, you know, to have to put all of that on. It's not super loud like on some shows, like 90 shows where the laugh track got so loud. But Yeah, but it, it always felt to me, even as a kid and and growing up in an era when all sitcoms had – laugh tracks or it's live studio audience and even the ones at live studio audience you know that they the the laughter pretty loud sometimes yeah um 
it it always seemed incongruous because it clearly was not shot in front of a live studio audience. It was shot on real, you know, like a soundstage. Yeah. Um, you or know. like you know, in the case of Mash, it's like they're shooting it outdoors. There's not people on bleachers there, right? And the production values were always such. I mean, clearly in hindsight, I mean, everybody knew it was a smash hit. Eventually, it became a smash hit. You know, after mm-hmm. a couple of seasons, and it was you know like, um, uh, it was always like I think it was always like number one or number two was sixty minutes. You know, it was always like a fight which was going to be the top rated show of the week. And at a sixty time, minutes, man, that was a juggernaut. Remember that it was just like almost always it was. It was 60 minutes or something else for a little while. It was it, always 60 minutes. It, it was always number one or number two. It felt like your civic obligation as an American was sun, <laughs> Sunday night at 7. Everybody, you know, from 7 to 70 would sit down and watch 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that's funny about MASH is, and this is, you know, it sounds nasty. I don't mean it to be, but it's funny. The, the you know, like three of the stars of that show left because they wanted a better deal or they wanted more attention. You know, Wayne Rogers as Trapper, McLean Stevenson, you know, he was done with it. And later on, Larry Linville had decided he was done with the Frank Burns character. And, you know, none of them ever found anything approaching that again. It's it's such a bummer. Oh, who's the guy who replaced Frank Burns? Winchester, right? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, he was. A- yeah, and he was, that was tough. It was a tough one because you could tell Winchester was actually a good surgeon. Yeah. Which we knew Frank was, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a good show it was good yeah, you're, it is interesting it's interesting in so many ways it was a good movie that, that started it and then they you know didn't have any of the character you know any of the same actors from the movie come. they had uh, Gary Berghoff was from in the movie oh uh, Radar Radar yeah and uh, the first season is much closer in the kind of anarchic spirit yeah it's much closer to the first uh, to, to, to the film but yeah, it got, you know, it, it, like anything though, I think they kind of, they started, you know, this great thing. There was a great episode uh, where Hawkeye writes to his dad. There's an episode called Dear Dad. I remember that one. I remember it that. It was really good. It's from like, I don't know, first, second season. And, but then they did like, remember, then they had like Dear Peg and then they had Dear uh, Father Mulcahy writes and eventually um, uh, Alan Arbus, remember the psychiatrist? He, he's writing to Sigmund Freud at some point like like uh, an open letter or something it got really bananas but it was a good show i mean it was it was really of its time but by the end it was just it was so insufferable even as a flaming liberal i can't watch that show it's it's such a pantomime of you know politics i haven't seen it in a long time i, I don't i remember it, it petering out at toward the end and i remember the last episode was a, oh man it was that a was debacle with the chicken oh i just and hawkeye it still was haunts me com- still haunts me committed or something and yeah because of the chicken there's right. no chicken I don't know. I was always obsessed. That's another like lifelong obsession obsession for me. Like a minor one is final episodes of shows. I'll watch the last episode of a show that I've never even watched just to see how mm-hmm. they, you know, I like a last episode. Yeah. And yeah, I, and it, I watched MASH. I, you know, I watched it. I watched the reruns. You know, it was a staple in our household, like flipping mm-hmm. through the stations, like waiting for dinner to be ready. Everybody could agree we'd watch MASH, you know, and the reruns were, you know, like 530 or something like that. So it was, uh, you know, and the reruns were still were on while the show was still wrapping up, I think. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. Yeah. And I think their last episode uh, for a long time was the highest rated like non Super Bowl type. Uh, yeah, definitely was. Show. Yeah, right. yeah. It was like a national event, and everybody mm-hmm. was like, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> kind of went on. Yeah. How does it play now? Like watching any of those episodes um, with Jamie Farr's character. 
Uh, what was his name? Klinger. 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 How could I forget that? <laughs> so Klinger, for anybody who isn't familiar, Klinger was played by Jamie Farr, and he did not want to serve in the army. This is, I, I, he, who he doesn't know that? He was drafted. He was drafted. You never know with these kids. And he knew that there was something that you could get if you were mentally unsound to serve in the army. You could get a... Dis, get a uh, Section 8 or something? Section 8. So he's always angling for a Section 8. So how do you convince the army that you're crazy? Uh, you dress like Carmen Miranda. You right. wear women's clothes. <laughs> right. So he wore women's, women's clothing all the time. And, you know, it didn't work. Everybody knew what his shtick was, but he never let up on it. So he, he still he still did his job. That's the thing. right. <laughs> he showed up dressed like a nurse, but then he was a pretty good nurse. That's, I, that's part of the problem. You got. I think you got, should undermine the basic tasks that you're doing, or do them in such a bananas way that it's clear that you're crazy. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, it's it's okay. I think the earlier seasons are are better. You know, it's so funny with TV shows. It always takes them a few episodes or a season to find their legs. And then, you know, things kind of seem to go for a while. I, I, I can't imagine doing a TV show. It just seems so exhausting. Oh, totally. Of any kind. Yeah. Whether yeah. it's, you know, like, a, um, like, like well, like the, this very day, like, yes, last night was, uh, as we record, yesterday was the day Jon Stewart announced that he was going to uh, step down from The Daily Show. And then it's like, he said something during the show. Did you watch? I watched and it was like... No. what did he say? I think he said he's been doing it for 17 years. And I looked at... I was watching with Amy and I was like, well, that can't be. And then no. I was like thinking about it. I was like, holy shit. And I, now... Crazy. And then I'm like, well, of course he's going to step down. He's been doing this show four days a week for 17 years. Yeah. And I know... Uh, I mean, talking to, in particular, Hodgman and Rob Corddry about it, people I know who've been on that show and work with him all say the same thing. Which is that, first of all, he, he's a very nice guy. And, you know, he's a good guy. But also that he is one of the hard, he's, he's the hardest working person in the building. So when Hodgman would go on there, he would have like kind of a prepared bit. And then, I mean, you know, he's, I don't think he was the showrunner, but he, he was involved in like every rewrite up until camp. I mean, like he was making everybody in the room better on every episode. Can you imagine doing that for over 15 years? Like no. what that would take out of you? No. And I think that's... I, I have trouble ordering groceries. And, and this guy is doing that every single night. Unbelievable. <laughs> I think it's very clear, too, that he, you know, and to put it in sports ball terms, he's a good, he was like a good passer in basketball. Like he was not concerned. Obviously, he's the host of the show. He's, you know, the one who does the whole first half single-handedly, mm-hmm. on, on air at least. Um obviously with the help of writers. But as soon as anybody else is on, whether it's a, a bit at the desk, like a Hodgman thing or anything else, it's, he is so 100% concentrated on making that other person look as good as they possibly can and make sure that they get as many of the laughs as they possibly can. I, I totally agree. And I mean, you can look to our hero as like the paragon of that. I mean, Carson was so good, whoever that was, like whether that was Burt Reynolds or whether that was some grandmother that had done something crazy, he was so generous. I mean, I think even if he wasn't loving, I think Fred de Cordova would be the one who would kind of step in and go, okay, we're ready to go to commercial. Carson would sometimes, you know, give him the hand signal. But but he was, I mean, he was there and fully committed to whatever was happening and wanted to make that person look good and it made everybody look good. Yeah, exactly. I so I, I was surprised. I have to say, like, just to to kibitz about the whole late night shuffling, I was a little surprised when Letterman announced his retirement that John Stewart didn't get that, or maybe he didn't want it. I, I you know, you know, if he if he was thinking about stepping down from this, 
you know, on a daily basis. Maybe that's just it. He didn't want to, you know, he just didn't want to do a daily show anymore. I always thought that, mm-hmm. that John Stewart would be an excellent, uh, you know, like Letterman's style show host. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And, you know, it's funny to think about like what the world was like when Letterman started and it would be impossible to explain to somebody today probably in the same way that Steve Allen, like to us, Steve Allen seems like an old guy, right. but Steve Allen's show w- w- broke the mold. I mean, there'd never been anybody on TV quite like Steve Allen, who was so kind of, you know, cultural and, and witty and smart, but also so would do such crazy stunts and that had a huge influence on Letterman. Uh, and then Letterman comes along and, you know, they had that crazy deal with Carson, you know, about all this, right? Like there was, they had a very, they had a guy from Carson's production team there, who basically made sure that he's like, okay, here's your show. Here's the rules. Like you can't book anybody who's like one of Johnny's regulars. You know, Johnny gets the first bite of of any of these particular apples. There's all kinds of rules, but that was a constraint that he worked and brought in Larry Bud Millman or he brought in Chris Elliott. And that made the show so much more fun and so much weirder than if that awkward young David Letterman was trying to interview, you know, Madonna. at that. Yeah, I think most famously there were restrictions on the length of the monologue. And oh, so, really? oh, because that's Johnny's thing. Yeah, it was Johnny's thing. And so, like, on the old Letterman show, Letterman would come out and do three jokes, and they were so perfunctory. Like, the, the bit was almost like his complete disdain for the monologue. He would just come out right. and do three really clipped, perfunctory jokes, and then it was on to the desk. And the rest, and, and, and the, the part that made it the part that made it funny every night was how terrible he made it seem like he he thought it was like that was a terrible joke and, and right. him adjusting his tie and like the kind of face you know yeah. that's what made it funny right so like they took the restrictions from Carson Productions on the monologue and and I think eventually like I think once it settled in and it was very clear I didn't I don't think it took long for Carson and his people to realize that Letterman was no threat to Carson like there was no way that that Letterman was ever going to steal his job. Right. Right. Like he's right. just not that type of person. And, you know, he was fine. You know, I think, you know, famously he wanted it when, when, when the time came and when Johnny retired, but he was never going to backstab him if his ratings had, you know, if like, he's pe- never seen, he's never seen anything like completely grateful. Like right. when he tells the story of, I guess the first time he was on and got called over to the couch, like he, he honestly, he still sounds like a kid. Like what a, what a moving moment that was for right. him to get to do that. Yeah. So I think that eventually, I don't think it took long where if, if he had wanted to do longer monologues, I don't really think that the phone was going to ring and the Carson <laughs> people were going to say, Hey, right. you know, you were, you know, you know, you're only supposed to do two minutes of monologue and you did two thirty last night. But I think that they just embraced that anti monologue, you know, that that just became part of the signature of the show. Well, yeah. And I mean, not to beat it to death, but I, I think about the stuff that I remember when I would hear somebody was going to be on, I would get so excited. And certainly there's famous scenes where like Drew Barrymore acted all crazy or Crispin Glover was all, you know, nuts that one time and tried to, look like he was going to kick him. Those are famous. But <laughs> what do you really remember from the first three years? I mean, you, you remember people like Harvey Picar. You remember people like Charles Grodin. Right. You remember, you remember people being on there who, or like um, uh, Jeff... Uh, Jeff Altman. I love Jeff Altman. Like he would be so yeah, yeah. 20 pound butt steak, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's what made the show. And then like the prancing fluids and all that stuff that was the product of that privation, like is what made the show good. It would not have lasted as long if it had been just another show. Harvey Picar. I haven't thought about him in maybe 20 years. He was, so Charles Grodin, it was a bit. 
Like yeah. whenever Charles Grodin was on Carson or Letterman, you got that it was kind of a bit. But right. Harvey Picard genuinely seemed to hate Dave and hate the idea of being on the show at all. Right, and was just a miserable person. Quite <laughs> frankly, was not very attractive either. So it wasn't really like you know people like looking at him. Right. And so I think any normal talk show would be like, I don't know who booked him, but they're fired and make sure we never have him back again. Whereas the Letterman people are like, let's have this guy back on every couple months. Oh, absolutely. And that was true for, I mean, I think Jeff Altman is, you know, one of his great repeat guests. I mean, he would, he loved having Jeff Altman on partly because I think, I, you know, I have to tell you, if you don't already know about this, I'm cribbing some of this from a podcast. Have you heard the podcast, the Carson podcast? No. Oh, you should know about this. There's a show this guy in LA does, this comedian in LA. I think it's called the Carson podcast. And the whole podcast is him interviewing people who have some kind of an interesting relationship with the Carson show. Oh, shit. So, yeah, it was great. So people like Jeff Altman, uh, people like, you know, uh, Bob Einstein, you know, Super Dave. Yeah. Um, like just all kinds of people. And then and then like George Carlin's daughter was on. But it's it's a great insight into what you and I know, which is like what an inscrutable person he was. Everybody says the same thing. It was great. It was the greatest honor you ever had. But nobody, there's like two or three people who ever felt like they legitimately knew Johnny Carson. Yeah. Did you read the biography that is... Uh, no, I saw that. We talked about that. I think one time we talked about that PBS uh, show. Oh, that was, was great. The PBS Masters episode. Opera. That was terrific. Uh, yeah. That was the best thing. And and they didn't really try to get to the person, you know? I mean, they acknowledged it and they talked to so many um, so many people. It was such a great thing, the PBS Master thing. But it was, it was kind of like... Um, Almost like Citizen Kane, where everybody like knew of, you know, had the same regard for this person, but never really felt like they knew what made him tick, you know. Uh, so anyway, you might want to check out that podcast. It's it's yeah. uh, it's pretty good. The book I forget his, his lawyer's yeah, name Henry something. Uh, okay, let me look it up here. Carson biography. Carson bio Henry. Let's see. Sounds like he, you know, he'd wrap the show. He, he Henry Bushkin. Never... Oh, okay, there we go. And it's it sounds the, like he, he would never talk before the show. There would be just a little bit, right? It was just it, right. nobody. He would not talk to the guests. I mean, he would get in the car and drive away, and that was it. Yeah. Um, it, it, the 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 Henry Bushkin book is uncomfortable to me because clearly it's a betrayal of oh. trust. Like, there's no way he should be telling these story. I mean, is it's, it, it's, it's it's unauthorized. Oh yeah, definitely. It's, oh, that you know, sucks. I mean, how could it be authorized? I mean, Carson's dead, but I mean, I don't think his family would have wanted it. And I think if you had asked Johnny while he was alive, would you like Henry Bushkin to, you know, write a book oh, about? Oh, certainly not. Right. But on the other hand, he did write it, so I read it, you know, but I kind of <laughs> felt, I did, I felt a little icky the whole time. But there's some crazy stories in there. There's one story hmm. where, uh, um, I forget if it was his wife or it was just a girlfriend, but I think it might have been his wife. And he, Johnny thought is one of his, you know, earlier wives. This is when the show was still in New York and he lived in New York. He figured out his wife was running around on him and he wanted to break into the uh, apartment. It was her apartment, but he was paying for it. So he said, so it's got to be, le I'm paying for it. So it's legal. We're bre breaking in. <laughs> and he got Henry Bush, his, took his lawyer with him and like two guys who could only really be described as toughs. <laughs> thugs <laughs> yeah and like like and henry bushkin says in the book that the one guy even had a gun tucked in his belt and they go over there and like break into the place and find you know find evidence that she was running around on him and oh god but you know it's like stories that you know you, you don't expect your lawyer to write a book about that <laughs> that's why you take your lawyer wait wait it's, it's his lawyer that wrote the book yeah it's his lawyer oh my god oh that's that's not cricket man no it's a good read. It's a good quick read, but 
it's I'm, re- you know, I'm requesting it from the library right now. Yeah, this is a guy, you know, who needed some money, I think. So yeah, sure. But he was, you know, but he, but I guess the thing I, that made me think about it is that he was obviously, he was more than just his lawyer, though. He became as close a friend as anybody could to him. They played tennis together. They were both tennis nuts. Um, and they used to travel to, I remember that Johnny did this because I remember I used to watch tennis on TV sometimes, but Johnny would always like for years had an annual trip where he would go to Wimbledon and Henry Bushkin and his wife went with him. It was you oh. know, like Johnny and his wife and his Henry Bushkin and his wife every year for like 15 years, they went to, to England for like two or three weeks. So, I mean, they were definitely close, but even then, even being that close that you vacationed with Johnny Carson for a couple of weeks every year, it's like he mm-hmm. still clearly didn't really know him that well. And yeah, totally. Like, I think Pat McCormick, the comic Pat McCormick, who I think had worked on the show and was on a lot, also was another one. But even in interviews, I think Pat McCormick, I think, was on that podcast. But it, it's a lot like when you hear people talk about Sinatra, you know, where they're all talking about Mr. Sinatra and like this deference, like he'll come back from the grave and get you whacked. Like there's there's still a lot of deference uh, to Johnny and, and a desire to keep his legacy, you know, clean to the extent possible. Yeah, I almost feel, I mean, you know, not having ever seen the guy in person, but my impression is maybe that like he just had, was like a one in a one in a billion freak where the real Johnny Carson was the one who was on for 60 minutes in front of a camera sitting at a desk. Like that really was him and that it was the other 23 hours of his life where there was it was just nothing. I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, he's like he's like a comic book character. Right. I mean, you know, where it's almost like Bruce Wayne is the secret. I, you know, you know what I mean? It's like Batman is the real guy in some ways. And Bruce yeah. Wayne is. the. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And I feel like that might have been Johnny Carson. And I feel like, you know, that's what made him so inscrutable and off, you know, off camera. Yeah. Let's take a break. I'll take a break. And I'm going to tell yeah. you about uh, a sponsor. I'm very excited about this sponsor. This is, um, I think I mentioned it the last time need sponsored, but this is a new company. It's a sibling to our good friends at need. Uh, called Foremost. Foremost is a small batch American-made clothing line for men and women. Each month, Foremost designs and produces limited collections of men's and women's clothing, roughly four or five items per gender each month, alongside an interview series with some of the world's most inspiring creators. Uh, most importantly, the average price of Foremost's products is under 50 bucks. So, you know, shirt, pair of pants, something you want to get from average price under 50 bucks. Foremost launched uh, today. I think today's the official launch, February yeah. 11th. And their first collection is comprised of one full outfit per gender. Their inaugural interviewees include Amber Venn's box a remarkable young executive supporting thousands of independent writers around the world, and Austin Mann. No relation, I presume? Uh, no, not, not that I'm aware. Uh, founder of Weld and gentleman behind a great deal of Apple's photography. Uh, Mr. Mann currently has work featured in every single Apple store in the world right now. Um, so they have a special deal. It's totally worth checking out. Really cool stuff. Very affordable prices. American-made. Men and women. Um Listeners of this show uh, can use the, here's the code, and this is great. I love this code because it shows that uh, that they listen to the show. Finally, just use the code finally, finally. <laughs> at checkout, and you will receive twenty percent off. Um, 
And you can even use the same code over at Need if you go to needlifestyle.com uh, and you can use finally there and save 20% too. So here's the website for Foremost. Foremost, F-O-R-E, most, edition, foremostedition.com. Go there, take a look at the interviews, uh, take a look at their, uh, their clothes and use that code finally. You'll save 20% off. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of percent. Yeah. So go check them out. It's really cool. Very and very very beautiful. It's a great website. Really really cool. I'm really proud of that guy and, and, and envious, and I kind of hate him a little bit. Um, our friend Matt Alexander. Yeah. What, what he's what he's doing is uh, amazing. Like what he's done in such a short period of time. Is, I think he's about 14 years old, <laughs> and, and he's 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 half English, so he's he's gotten past that. And it's it's still astonishing to me, like what that guy has managed to do. That you know when he first described these projects to me. And it just seems like there's more and more coming out all the time. You know, I was like, well, that's, you know, that's kind of cool. That kind of sounds like a store, like a small store, but it's been a big hit. It's, it's really frustrating. Yeah. And don't you wish you could do something like that? I, I do. I do because I feel like, uh, I don't know. I, I like it cause it's real. I feel I, the things that impress me is people come up with new ideas for businesses and, and, you know, Right. I like the yeah. ones that have something that you can touch. The, like where, where you got to buy buy film for your virtual camera. Kind of <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I well, no, that's I, the kind of thing that drives you nuts, though, right? Like that's not really that's not really a company. <laughs> I would say, I would actually say that the spectrum of the things that I tend to be most interested in are on the one side are real physical things, like um, somebody who's making uh, iPhone docks out of blocks of wood. Right. I right, mean, not right. all of them. I don't like them all, but I mean. Uh, you know, uh, something like that, where you're making a real thing and you're doing it real way. And then the ones I like least would have to be the virtual, fake, real world constraints. You know, the Ugh. some of the some of the kinds of services that are out there are so weird. As I get more and more cynical about everything and a little bit more frisky about things like privacy, like I, <laughs> you just see stuff coming down the lane, and you're like, really? Like that's there's this thing. You remember every block? Remember? Did you get that? Sure, that was uh, Stephen Johnson's. And Wilson, uh, I think Wilson Minor worked on that, but yeah. it was a really amazing service. Super clean, beautiful website that would uh, basically aggregate all kinds of mostly public information about things like police activity, safety. Uh, I mean, anything that you, you couldn't care less for any neighborhood except your own, but in your neighborhood, you really care. And it's incredible. Like I went in and I saw one time I called the cops about something and I could find that on the website. It was really, really cool. But I think they contracted to be in only a few, contracted as in like kind of sucked down to be just in a few cities. Now there's these other ones cropping up. My wife got me to get on this one in our neighborhood. It's just, it's it's so annoying. It's one of those things where you you sign up and you got to like give them tons of information. They want your phone number. They want to send a postcard to your house to verify that you you're you, fine. And then they automatically put your address on the website. And then every page you're on, there are call to actions and pop-ups telling you to go invite more people. It asks you to like, you know, bring in all of your, on the one hand, they're real careful about making sure who you are. But then it's one of those, remember like path kind of thing where they're like, now don't you want to bring in all of your contacts and your Facebook people? And it's like, I am increasingly super uncomfortable with that as a business model. It's gross. As soon as they asked me for it, I had just yeah, closed the window. I immediately think, well, that's your business model, and then I'm grossed out. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's some kinds of things, like say what you will about Google. I mean, like opening that Google app, especially like when I'm out of town, I was out of town last week, it still kind of blows my mind how smart Google is. 
I know they're Google, but but like they, if there's anybody out there who is providing some value for the nonsense they do, you got to give them credit. Like, here's the city you're traveling to. There's the temperature. Hey, here's your flight that just came in via this, via email. Like that kind of stuff, you know, I, I wish they were better with the privacy stuff in some ways, but that's a real value. They've done something very innovative to be able to do that at scale. But you can just feel on some of these websites where you just tell that they're young, it's a new company, and it's all about building the user base and then leveraging as much personal information as possible. I don't know, it's kind of a boring thing to get into, but I, I find that I find that really kind of gross and frustrating. I feel like enough of my stuff is out there. I don't I don't need to go sign up for free services that are going to do that. Um, did you see there was an article, I forget the guy's name, a couple of weeks ago on uh, uh, on Google the 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 trade-off between if you if you give Google everything they want to know about you and buy into their stuff you get a tremendous experience out of it like if you've got an Android phone and you use the whole ecosystem and the apps right. that kind of thing right like you know and like you said like and it definitely works i mean i don't buy into it, their it's ecosystem it's certainly now. come a long way right um but it's cool stuff. Like if you're using Gmail and you let, you know, then, then you get your flight stuff into your Gmail and then they already know you have a flight because they've already parsed the email from your airline that says you're doing it. And then your today view already has, like you said, has the weather for San Francisco because that's where I'm flying. Right. Or like, I just got a pop up yesterday. It's like this shirt that you ordered for a short order for my kid. They're like, it just shipped. Here's the FedEx number. Like that's actually pretty useful. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So, I mean, but it's it, it it's like you said though. Like I I'm you know, a little wary of it. But at least with Google, you, the exchange is very clear. It's okay, you're going to give up some of your privacy and they're going to they're going to send you targeted ads. And that makes me a little uncomfortable. But in exchange, there's there's a very clear value proposition though. It's, you know, we know, you know, we're going to give you stuff that you need to know like your weather and Right. Uh, reminders of things that you didn't even ask to be reminded of, but that you would need to. And I think that's pretty interesting. Whereas with a lot of these startups, it's like they want the information and you know, they're going to sell it out. And it's like, I have no idea. You know, why would I, why would I give this to you? Right, 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 right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, anyway, it's, it's probably kind of a thistle to get into, but you know, then you look at something like Uber where did you see the thing where they, they're lost and found database was like an unprotected spreadsheet on the no. internet with people's names and phone numbers in it <laughs> no i did not it's like wow that's that's pretty rough <laughs> so the sharing economy thing is is super interesting to me because I, I i'm kind of surprised really especially in san francisco i am very surprised this stuff has gotten as far as it has you know you asked me 10 years ago i mean i live in a neighborhood where it's very difficult to get a cab anytime and I've cursed the cab companies forever because they don't give a fig. They don't need to. They can just drive, you know, up and down Polk Street and make all the money in the world. Drive to the airport. There's, you know, you know what I mean? That's how it works in, in, in a city. But uh, I never would have guessed that they would get away with that here. You know what I mean? It's such a strong kind of union town in some ways. It's such a strong town for like people who are protected, uh, you, you know, interests like with the medallions and stuff. I'm kind of amazed that stuff has gotten as far as it has. I am too. I didn't know. I didn't realize that... Um I don't know if you saw my tweet, I don't know, a week or two ago, mm -hmm. um, there was an article like, like Lyft start just started here in Philly. And the article about Lyft was about how the whole thing, like all the Uber 
all the Ubers in Philly are illegal. They're, they're not supposed to be operating in Philly. Well, it's like news to me. I've been using Uber in Philly for like two years. I had no See, idea. I, that's, that's, isn't that kind of mind-blowing? It just seems like like one low-level government functionary could walk into that office and just shut off the lights. But like, so they, I mean, black cars are obviously legal, but not based on, you know, not through the Uber interface. But they're regulated. I mean. I guess. I don't know what it is, but there's something like, and we have UberX now too. So we have the, the, you know, the amateur cab driver version. (laughs) You meet some very interesting people with UberX. (laughs) Uh, And the whole thing was about how Lyft, you know, Lyft's got the the pink mustaches on the cars, which makes them so easy to identify. So because they're illegal, like the. But it's not enforced by the police. It's enforced by the parking authority. (laughs) (laughs) The long arm of the parking authority. (laughs) Right. But I've heard stories. I don't know if these are true, but I've heard anecdotes where people are like, Okay, fist bump, get in. Now, put your put your bag in the trunk. We're friends. We've known each other since college. Like, we're, <laughs> you know, because uh, the Lyft experience is still a little uh, little uh, on the bubble. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with it, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not either. But, uh, you know, out here, uh, there's an article in the paper a week or two ago about how, uh, I mean, I find this totally plausible. Uh, Uber drivers are making, like, something like, on average, $10 an hour more. And taxi drivers. There's been a, a utter diaspora um, of people leaving these taxi companies to go work for Uber because there's just, just more dough in it. Yeah, I I've done that. I and mean, when I first started using Uber, it was in San Francisco because you know it was early days when when Uber was new, and I I don't know where that I don't maybe that was the only place where they were operating at mm-hmm. first. But um, I remember thinking, well, this sounds weird, right? This sounds weird. But I'll try it. And I remember, like, the first couple of times I got in an Uber, I would ask the driver. I was like, so do you, how do you like this? Do you like this? And to have, never, never was the answer anything other than, I love it. This is, you know, this is great. Oh, absolutely. And whereas if I get a cab ride, I've said this story elsewhere, but I recently, last month, I got a cab ride home from a gig. And the, the entire time, the guy had his right arm on the seat, f- turning around, facing me the entire trip, screaming. He's like an Uber, anti-Uber activist. Like the entire ride, like I'm, I'm, you know, three sheets to the wind and just trying to put my headphones on and nod. And he really wants to talk about Uber. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's the battle lines have been drawn. Yeah. I tried using that app, but you know, Curb, do you have that there? No, I don't think we do. There's an app, at least in San Francisco, that is the go-to app for ordering a cab in an Uber-like way. I've tried it three times and um, waiting 10 minutes, I've never even gotten a response that a cab would even be available. Just because I live out in kind of a, a crazy part of town, so I mean, it's it's I don't love using it either, and they kind of seem like dicks. I mean, <laughs> no offense to, to Uber, but there's some pretty crazy uh, decisions going on. Here, I'll send you a link. Here's what we've got. Okay, this is our new thing: is two one five get a cab. Okay, and all it's it's clearly like, um, uh, like the. Uh, it, the various cab companies have colluded together. I mean, I'm not colluded in an illegal way, but it's not just one. Yeah, they, it, it's it, it's 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 in response to Uber. It's sure. there's no doubt about it. It is it is in response to Uber, and they've got it plastered all over all of their. Uh, I'll bet. Uh, all of their vehicles. Two one five. Remember that, remember that time? And so I feel like the thing that's funny to me though is they want you to get the app, right? 
Yep. Get the app. And the app ha- seems- have the app. Have the app before it occurs to you that you need a cab right. because you're drunk in a, in an alley somewhere. Like, what are you going to do? Uh, download an app? Like, you, you need to have it on your phone already, but, probably. And it's a new thing. But they've come up with the name is a phone number. Like, it's still still the 80s. And you've got to go over. You know, does anybody have a quarter? Give me a quarter. I got to call to get a cab. Right, you know, you can just imagine the meeting. We're like, "All right, we'll do the uh, we'll do the app, but it's got to be the phone number." <laughs> <laughs> right, and so their 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 website is two one five getacab dot com. <laughs> For some reason, I'm reminded of I want to say like in the early two thousands when uh, you know the dot coms had already started the dot com like retail dot coms the pets dot com and all those clearly like things were a little rocky, but there were more and more places that wanted to look like an e business. And I think a lot of them were basically just like a CGI or a Perl script that sent something to a fax machine. <laughs> you go in and you fill out a form. <laughs> you did not have any sense that anything electronic was happening at all. You know what I mean? Not like today where you can like track things and stuff like that. I think it, it used to be pretty Rube Goldberg to start a company like that. Right. Yeah. I like the idea though that I, I think it was probably was true though that a lot of places where you could order online, it would generate a fax. Or oh, would, that's how uh, it works now. If you order right. a lot of food online, all it does is print something out. I mean, obviously that's that's the installed base you know it just it just prints something out next to the cash register i don't know man yeah. uh, should we talk about vaccines oh come on <laughs> oh man ah uh. Well, if we talk, if we end up, I was telling a friend of mine what our, our nominal topic for today was, which I'm very excited about. Right. And, and my friend responded by saying, you are going to get so much email. Oh, we probably are. <laughs> so we might as well jam it all into one episode. <laughs> yeah, vaccines. So the thing that got me about the vaccines, it, the, <laughs> with it being back in the news again, is, is like... Uh, uh, it's everywhere now, right? It's all, it's percolated up to like the national consciousness and it's on the news every day now. And also, and I was like, why, why all of us? I mean, this is not a new thing. I mean, this was a thing. It's only a story if there's a controversy, right? That's, that's the thing. Uh, I couldn't just go, these people are dumbasses. You have to say, well, there's still a couple scientists that uh, haven't definitely decided on this. It's, and I realized it's obvious. It's all because actual people got actual measles at Disneyland. And I didn't really put a, I saw that story and I thought, well, of course they are, did because there's a bunch of dopes who aren't getting there. There's so many people who aren't getting their kids immunized. Of course there's an outbreak. of. I, I wasn't, I was so unsurprised right. that there was an outbreak of measles at Disneyland that I It couldn't, seems like a perfect place for there to be a measles outbreak given the conditions. I, I, I couldn't believe that it was news, you know, whereas it's clearly is like the eye opener for a lot of people. <laughs> like, oh, my God, you know, if you don't get your kid, it just seems like that's a big part of the conversation is, holy shit, if millions of people don't immunize their kids, these kids could get measles. <laughs> like, that seems to be our national uh, conversation. Yeah, it's really frustrating. It's, um, Yeah. I don't know what to say. I also saw, I saw an interesting poll on on by by age whether you support mandatory immunization, and it drops off so precipitously. It's like seventy year olds. It's like almost universal support. Sixty year olds very high. Fifty forty kind of high. And then when you well like once you get in your forties and thirties, it's lower. And then you talk to kids in their twenties, and it's like they you know it's like fifteen percent support mandatory. That doesn't mean that they don't think people should do it. They're just saying it shouldn't be mandatory. Um, but I think that the reason that it's age-specific... It's like, it's like reading to your kid. That's one of those things. That, it's a good idea, but yeah, I don't really technically have to do that. 
that, that's the idea. Like, eh, I don't have to do that. I don't have to give my kid a measles shot. Well, the reason it's age-specific, though, is so obvious. It's because older people remember what it's like when your neighbor had polio, right? Or people they are remember- grandparents' age who made it through the Depression and watched a neighbor on one side of them lose three kids. Right, they- or, or a sibling even, right? Oh, 100%. I mean- my, my grandmother uh, lost a sibling to uh, it flu uh, in the, I think, you know, right, right around World War One. Right. So they've saw it. And then all of a sudden, scientists come out with just a shot that makes your arms sore for a day and then you'll never get polio. Well, of course, oh, right. they support it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying so hard to grow as a person, John. I'm, I'm trying really hard to, to, to be sympathetic and understand everybody's position. But it uh, it's one of the things that I think we talked years ago about the thing. Remember the you told me this. Remember that there was that poll that something was what was the percentage of people who were thoroughly convinced that Obama is not uh, eligible to be president? Oh, I mean, I even forget. late, late, late in that in that in that rumor, it was still right. like forty percent or something ridiculous yeah. uh, of people. And it's like there's the thing is there's uh you know there's there's a I've been reading this book um, that I'll apparently mention on every podcast called uh, The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. And he makes a distinction in that book that really really hit me. He makes a distinction between faith and belief, which I found uh, very persuasive with the idea that, you know, faith is a thing that we all have. Yeah, there are sight unseen things that we, there's some part of us that has faith that, that these kinds of things could happen, that there might be a heaven or whatever, which is really different from belief because belief is a kind of a more dangerous thing because belief is where you know, there's not really that much to even discuss. Like I've decided that this is how things are and nothing is going to talk me out of this because now it's become part of who I am. Now I am a person who believes this about vaccines or I believe this about Obama. And, you know, I, I think that that can become very internalized. You and I probably have things like that that we're yeah. not, not even aware of. But, you know, that's the dangerous part. And there's no, what, what, what we dumb liberals don't understand is there's no way there are never going to be enough infographics, Venn diagrams, or horrifying maps to convince people of anything different. I mean, Jesus Christ, we had George W. Bush in the White House for eight years. People will believe anything. Uh, Well, one of the things that's interesting about the... I, I think the whole immunization thing is very sad. And for anybody who's listening, I, mean, we, I do have enough listeners. I'm sure that there's got to be some of you who you should who stick have, to computers. Yeah, stick to computers <laughs> who have children who have chosen not to immunize. I do. I think one of the things that's I, I, so I want to I want to be a big person. I want to be as I don't want to be insulting, but um, I think one of the things that's fascinating about it is that it it has no traditional political divide. It's not a liberal thing or a a Republican thing or a conservative thing or a rural thing. Um, it's like all over the map. It's you know it's like when they poll. I saw one poll that was like exactly fifty fifty, where like they talked to I don't know however poll sample size number of parents who chose not to immunize their children and who, who did you vote for in the last election and it was like 50 50 split really like, yeah they had no and, and do you think the reasons why they differ are different would they agree on the reason why they decide not to do that i you know i don't know but i remember one of the big reasons that it really caught on was i, I remember reading the article it was uh Robert F. Kennedy Jr. wrote like a feature magazine length article. I don't know if it was for the Atlantic or one of those magazines like that. Um, you know, back when there was that one ingredient in the, immun- you know, that they were, yeah. that they thought had we worried, to do. We worried about that. I'll be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Well, Jonas was around that age. I mean, it was at the height of it. It was, I, th- I think when Jonas 
was uh, he just turned 11. So I think when Jonas was getting that's like his first year immunizations was before, I think it was before that one paper in Britain had been debunked. Oh, the Lancet article. Right. I think it was before it was debunked. So it was definitely, you know, it was a thing. I don't know. We were a little, you know, I, I didn't really put credence into it, but I, you know, I was, it was, I just remember it being a thing. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. We, um, we ask, we ask a lot of questions for right. sure. And they, you know, they were very sober about it and actually you know, like oddly patient. Like you have to be with a new parent because, yeah. you know, we pretty much knew we were just going to have the one kid. It's like, we don't get a lot of shots at this, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, we, it was important to us to, to know that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't feel dumb for asking those questions because they were very, they were, the doctor was very straightforward about it. It's the same thing that. Hmm. A lot of sensible people understand, which is like, there's risks to everything in life. But what we can tell you is the risks associated with vaccination are nothing compared with the very demonstrable risks of not vaccinating. Yeah. As an individual, I think- In terms of risk analysis or cost benefit, it's it's not even, it's not even a comparison. Right. And then I, and I, you know, especially when it comes to your kid, I think it's, it's almost human instinct, at least in our modern world where, where- we're very, as parents, we're very selfish about our children that we want, we'll do anything for our kids. And, you know, if, if you could prove that your kid might be better off without, as an individual would be better off without immunizations versus the whole civic responsibility, the herd, you know, the herd, the herd uh, advantage of getting everybody immunized, I can see it. And I think that's the basic thinking that's going on behind the people who chose not to immunize their children, that they're, they value, you know, that they believe some kind of bad thing can happen from the immunizations. Right. And right. regardless of what it means for- that's a, But that's a sticky idea. That's right. a very durable idea, whether or not it's true or accurate. I can certainly understand why it's something that, that I mean, I don't agree with it, but I, I get why that's something that people feel is a big risk. Uh, you know, but think about this. I mean, this is something where I, I think we all have, I feel like I have a lot in common with other people, which is, you know, I've grown so, not even skeptical, so cynical about all the turns out announcements about what's dangerous. And, and, you know, there's been numerous, you know, articles over the years talking about the crazy history of stuff like the, the food pyramid, right? The USDA's food pyramid, not USDA. Is that what it is? What's the one that puts out the food pyramid? Like in the seventies with like, make sure you have tons and tons of bread. And you know what I mean? And but it was so USDA. But it was very much apparently very much formed by these different industries. Not to be like a nut or something, but your body was never meant to handle this much corn. My God, no one's supposed to jam this much corn into their hole. It's nuts. And then what happens? And we go, oh, well, fat's the enemy. Okay, so quit eating eggs. All right. So now fat's the enemy, so let's have snack wells. So everyone sits around and eats fat-free brownies with three cups of sugar in it. Oh, wait a minute. No, it turns out sugar is actually the enemy and so forth. Look no further back than in the last decade. Look at fucking water bottles. <laughs> do, do you follow this at all? No. Like what used to be, you're like, oh, you're killing the environment with all of these cups. So for God's sakes, go out and buy a Nalgene bottle. And you had to have a Nalgene bottle. Where's your Nalgene bottle? Those stupid plastic bottles. Oh no, guess what? Turns out phthalates. Oh my gosh, you're going to die because you're doing the right thing. So now you should go and buy this kind of, and, and now people are saying maybe those aluminum ones that we use to replace the Nalgene bottles are bad. You know, and the, the trouble is it doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter what is actually true, accurate, accurate or known. What matters is we are scared to hurt ourselves and our kids, and we're always going to try and have the most recent information that we can find about what we should do about it. 
I mean, yeah. you're not even supposed to put plastic in the microwave anymore. Like, what do you put in the microwave? You know, like, I, I throw the goddamn thing out if you can't put plastic <laughs> in it. It's useless. <laughs> who, who, who does it? I'm not going to make a bowl to warm something up. I'm not a fucking monster. <laughs> I remember uh, coaching Little League a couple years ago. I, I do. I am familiar with the whole water bottle thing now. And it had something to do with. I, I think it was phthalates. I, I don't know. I know baby. They, remember baby bottles and phthalates? I, it, it's like, it made me feel like time traveling dad from the 1950s you know like i'm just trying to make sure none of these kids get hit in the mouth with a baseball right the, number one i don't want anybody getting hit in the head with a baseball it's a constant fear you've got 12 kids and at some point at least two of the 12 invariably are not paying attention to the game and therefore are at risk of getting hit in the head with a baseball which is bad so it's you know every we can game, all agree we can all agree on that every game is two hours of non-stop 95% of my attention is don't let any of these kids get hit by a baseball. And then 5% of my attention is let's, you know, try to score some runs and get some outs and maybe win the game. And in the meantime, there's this whole thing with the other, all the other, I mean, not just moms either. It's moms and dads. And they're all talking about like, Oh, you got to get rid of that bottle. That bottle. You can't drink out of that. Everybody's an expert. <laughs> and I'm just like, just give the kids some goddamn water. I don't know. When I was a kid, we just, we just had, we'd finish each game with like 50 of those little, uh, Oh, like little juice cups. boxes or no, oh the, sure the paper like the water cups yeah the, the conical paper cups you just we leave them just, on the field let, yeah, the indian, just, let the indian clean them up yeah, exactly <laughs> you didn't even have to clean them up <laughs> yeah totally totally and i mean you know it is funny given like how you and i already come from kind of a, a pampered generation in so many ways uh we're probably the last generation that has a chance of doing better than our parents in life but um for a while anyway but you know i i mentioned this a lot but like some of my i'm not okay guys i'm not advocating for this but i have such i wrote a thing about this one time just having this memory of our our old green pontiac my dad my dad driving around smoking a butt with the windows down and me like standing on the seat like or you could just stick your head out the window you would just do all this crazy stuff seat belts you've got to be kidding me do we even have seat belts you know and now today my daughter doesn't do anything without a helmet i mean that's <laughs> that's on me like i i want to protect her head but it is it is pretty it, it is pretty wild how many people manage to survive that now at the same time i was trying to explain to the best of my amateur ability how the what the world population is and how it works I was saying to my kid, like, okay, I think there's like, what, coming up on 7 billion people, something like that. I was like, can you guess why that keeps going up? And uh, my hints were, well, you know, one of them is when mommies and daddies get together, what happens? She goes, well, they have, they have babies. And I'm like, yeah. And when those babies grow up and they become mommies and daddies, what happens? And they have like three kids. And oh, she's like, oh, I have more kids. And I was like, but the other thing is like, then, uh, to our credit, I think people die of less completely preventable random shit than when I was a kid. I, right. I, I've got to stipulate, thank God for seatbelts. They've made the road safer. The cars are safer. It's all safer. Everybody knew somebody that had died in a car accident when I was a kid. It was just a thing. It was cancer and car accidents killed and lung disease, like killed everybody when I was a kid. And they're all at least partially preventable. All right. A huge, t a huge swath of car accidents are preventable. Well, oh, in yeah. addition to seatbelts, there's the whole... Uh, have you seen the footage? You had to. The, the the difference in the crumple zones of like an old car and a new car. <laughs> it's it's almost farcical. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, man, those driver's ed movies. I still think about them. I've never unbuckled a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> my mom, uh, my mom I, took our Pontiac to the – I don't even think she took it to the dealership. She took it to a mechanic and said, look, we bought this $8,000 car, and it beeps when we sit in it if we don't put on the seatbelt. Can you turn that off? And he said, yes. 
I will turn that off for you. <laughs> all right. I, <laughs> or you just leave it, you leave it like um, fastened all the time. <laughs> my sister and I were not allowed to use the seatbelts because we would mess them up. <laughs> like, as you know what I mean? Like they wouldn't retract right anymore or that, you know, you get them twisted oh, right. around. It used to be and, pretty basic the way that it would retract. <laughs> you, would get, yeah. you, could, you could like get it off the runner, like off the spool and it wouldn't go back in right. All right. So at some point, one of us had gotten one of the ones in the back seat twisted in the, you know, the, the actual belt was twisted in the, what would you call it? That the little buckle? cartridge kind of thing. The, yeah, the cartridge that would slide to make it I know it exactly what you mean. They were really primitive. They didn't snap into place very well. And it was no. very easy when feeding it back. It would be like a like a, a, like a, like a, a roller blind getting slightly off track at the beginning and then being way off track by the time yeah. it got to the end. It's a lot. The only thing that's similar to it anymore are airplane seatbelts. But it was a lot, the buckling connection was a lot more primitive. Yeah. But the way that you could slide it on the belt, well, we'd gotten it twisted up and it took my mom a long time to unfix it. And so from then on, we weren't allowed to use seatbelts. <laughs> Just let them go. <laughs> it took, oh, her, it took her 15 minutes to get them untangled. So then that was it. No more seatbelts. What do you, um, what do you think is going to happen with the vaccine stuff? Do you think it'll take a generation? Or, or, or does it take event generation or does it take a measles 9-11? Like what, what do you think will change and how in the next however many N years? I've been thinking about, I don't think, I don't think there's any way to go back on it. And, and you know, it, it, part of it is what we were saying a couple of minutes ago where you can't, you can come at them. Like they've done studies that, that you go at them with the most factual statistical approach of, of this relative safety of immunizations and the fact that, you know, the, 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 how horrible it is you know measles can can make you blind uh kill people i i think they said i think just 40 46 people a day die from measles around the what? world something oh. like that around the world uh, and you give them these facts and the people who don't want to vaccinate their kids get the facts and they come out of it more convinced. i heard this i did hear that but you know facts are slippery things um and i mean if somebody that you didn't trust let's be honest if somebody you didn't trust that you considered to be a mouthpiece for an organization some kind of like uh like the laramie cigarettes guys on the simpsons if somebody came came to you with some information and you knew that they were compromised even if they gave you what they presented as facts you wouldn't listen to them or you probably wouldn't go look at the primary research right i'm you know, I'm the same way. I know what I believe. I know what I think is BS. It's just that it's right back to that. I think we've talked about this every time that Lakoff book, don't think of an elephant. If you have, you have a certain mental model for how reality works and what relationships are and how you determine what's real. And that, that overrides or supersedes new information, like by an order of magnitude, right? I mean, yeah. it's gotta, I mean, the way that you have conducted yourself in the world for however many n 30 some years, whatever, is likely to have such, I totally buy that, you know, and what your family believes and what the people around you believe, what the people at your church believe. It's constantly being reinforced because that's part of your tribe. That's what your tribe believes. And there's no reason not to. I mean, we've all got tribal things like that, right? I yeah, mean, you, like, you like the stupid, you like the Dallas Cowboys. You, you've got problems of your own. <laughs> that's part of the problem though, is that there's, there is a sort of tribal behavior where the, the, the kids who are not immunized tend to be clustered because it spreads and you become friend, you know, I mean, we're not like super buddy, buddy with any of the other parents at school, but you talk to them and, you know, and it's like, you, it, it becomes like a thing where like now, like, I forget what it, the, the percentage is in Marin County, but it's just ridiculous. Marin's got know? a lot of weird outliers. Marin also has a, uh, used to have, as far as I know, like a improbably high rate of uh, breast cancer. 
And I, I imagine there's ways that you could come up with, with why that is that don't involve, you know, high power lines or something. It could be that they're getting detection better or something. I don't, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, Marin. Yeah, Marin's a thing. I, I remember Scott Simpson said something that made me laugh a long time ago when he had a kid and I didn't at the time have a kid. I think it was a toot he had back, back in, the, uh, in the Favard days. And he said something like, there's two kinds, there's like, you know, two kinds of parents. Like there's the helicopter parents that, that are, you know, more protective than me and I hate them. And then there's the, the parents who are totally careless with their kids and I hate them too. Like there's, <laughs> the way you evaluate everything is based on what you think. Everybody else is either too permissive or too strict. <laughs> so just, totally true. It's true. They're just a bunch of assholes. <laughs> right. Yeah, that kid's an asshole. He doesn't even know how to tie his shoes. And then there's another kid who's, you know, reckless. Look at that, it's like, Look at that guy. <laughs> what's wrong with these parents? They're maniacs. Their kid's a menace. Jeez, come on, kid. It's it's a jungle gym. Let the kid play. Oh, my God. I can't believe you let him get on the jungle gym. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even with what we want to talk about later, like with movies. Oh, my God. Uh, like, I cannot believe they let their kid watch that. Or I can't believe that they don't want us to let them watch Harry Potter, you know? What's oh, oh, this is this is what makes it. I, I texted you about this this morning. I know we're not getting into it just yeah, now, but, not, you know, the way I tried to phrase this to my daughter, and we'll come back to this, was like, you know, it's it's not just a matter of like, you know me, I like, I like a facet. I like, uh, as they say in academics, I like problematizing. I like taking something that seems obvious and figuring out how it's actually a mess. And so like with kids in media, it's not just like, what do you show your kids? It's like, hmm, it's like, well, what kinds of stuff do you show your particular kid at what point in their life, in what context, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because we all know every kid's really different. I mean, anybody with two kids, the kind of people who say Google's this kind of company, Apple's this kind of company. If you said to them, your three kids are identical, they'd hit you in the face because like, <laughs> all their kids are special flowers. So I know we'll come back to that, but oh, we're going to get so much email. We're going to get a lot of email. Let me take awesome. a break. Let's take a break and thank okay. um, another one of our sponsors, good friends at Harry's. Now, you guys know Harry's. They're the people who make uh, top-notch men's shaving stuff. They've got razors. They've got razor handles. Uh, they've got product, you know, like shaving cream, shaving gel, aftershave, that kind of stuff. Um, and the basic gist behind their story is – that they looked at the market for razors and shaving stuff and saw that it was a mess. It's stuff that's ugly. It's stuff that's overpriced. It's stuff that's a pain in the ass to buy. Because you got to go hit a button and ask somebody to come over <laughs> with a key to let you please, if I could, could I please have some razor blades? It's it's like when you remember, remember when the compact disc stores used to lock oh, the yes. CDs? <laughs> you know what I love? I go to my Walgreens seven times a day. And when I go there to buy some goddamn razor blades, and I am a Harry's user now, to be honest. But uh, when I go in there to get like, if I'm traveling and I want to bring this particular razor with me, I go there and it's the same dingus kid that I see seven times a day and I say oh could I please have the uh, less and such you know $75 worth of blades please and he's like are you ready to check out now I'm like no I want to walk around the store and steal stuff for a while <laughs> no he's got to walk me right the, the assistant manager wants to walk me to the counter so that I don't steal his precious Gillette's no <laughs> oh the I, worst I one time I had to uh, I was at uh, your neck of the woods. I was in San Francisco for one of these Apple events or something like that. And, oh, I forgot my toothbrush. Well, that's the sort of thing. I, I, I cannot, I think, not brushing your teeth for two or three days. Your mouth would feel horrible. You got to take care of it. I guess I probably should have just called down the front desk at the hotel and seen if they could do it. But I thought, well, I got to go out anyway. And I went on right there on Market Street to, I don't know, what is it? A, is it a... 
Yeah, like a C- CVS or a Walgreens. Yeah, I forget what they get. What, what, you know, but I go in there, and the goddamn toothbrushes were locked behind those things. What? Yeah, because I guess people steal toothbrushes. I don't I, know. I ran out of deodorant. I went to buy deodorant yesterday. All the deodorant was under lock and key. So I got to call some kid to come over and unlock a little deodorant jail to open right. it up for me and then walk me to the counter like an animal. Right, and they wonder why we're buying all our stuff from Amazon. <sighs> well, anyway, Harry's has this fixed. It's great stuff. They keep expanding their line. They've got new stuff. So if you haven't checked them out in a while, uh, go there. They have a new line, limited edition razors, the Jimmy Chin line. They're inspired by uh, Jimmy Chin, who's uh, I'd never heard of him before, but he's an explorer and photographer. Um, they have some pretty cool photos from him. Uh, but it's a new limited edition line of uh, razors. Really, really cool looking. They have great stuff. They also have, they have these uh, subscriptions. I don't know. They call them shave plan. You go there and you tell them how often you shave. Do you shave every day? Do you shave once a week? Tell them how often you shave. And then you get a plan that will just have new stuff show up on a regular basis right when you need it. And you can cancel any time. You want to grow a beard. You want to stop shaving. You want to switch to another brand. You can just cancel at any time. It's like Tonks for for razors, mm-hmm. really. So, I mean, like, for example, I, I've, I've bought coffee, like, once in the last year. Because there was, like, one stretch where I'd gotten ahead of my Tonks and needed to go uh, buy it. Uh, I don't buy razors anymore. I don't have to buy shaving cream anymore. It just shows up on a regular basis from Harry's. Really great stuff. And they have a special deal um, for listeners of the show. The code is TALKSHOW, just T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W. And that will save you five bucks on your first order. So it's only good for people who are making their first order. If you're already a Harry's customer, just go and renew and sign up for a plan. Sorry. Um, But if you're new, if you haven't used it yet, uh, use the code TALKSHOW, no the, and you'll save five bucks. And you can get a kit for like 15 bucks, so it only costs you like 10. So for 10 bucks, you can totally upgrade your, your shave. Good people at Harry's. Yeah, great service. You know what would make a great code, good offer code? What would make a good offer I code? will never buy anything from assholes who pay John Gruber for sponsorships. <laughs> that, was, uh, <laughs> that was from our friend uh, Dave over at Matt. He was looking through his... <laughs> his refers. His refers over at mad.com. They sponsored a, a whole slew of weeks. I love their sponsorships. Oh, my God. That was the best sponsors ever. I, it still blows me away what they did with the Daring Fireball What's like the four? Didn't they do like a... was like a 404 page or something? They they, they went to the one they did like three straight weeks, and the one was a... <laughs> was a it was a typo. And they wanted a typo in the URL, so it went to a 404 page. <laughs> Uh, and so they got one refer. It looks like a Google Analytics screenshot they posted. Right. They had one that was just the title of the link was an ellipse. <laughs> it was just three dots. And then it just said the message that only went in the feed. It just said, in this week before Christmas, we thought it'd be nice to take our Daring Fireball sponsorship and not pitch you on anything. Enjoy the holidays. Meh. And they didn't have a link. It didn't. It, it, they signed it, meh, but they didn't link to their website. There was no. There was no URL. It just went nowhere. And then the week before was the one where they had the uh, the ASCII art of a guy flipping a table, <laughs> right, that, right, right, th- right, that said Amazon, <laughs> I remember upside that. down, like with those crazy Unicode characters that were happy holidays. 
Right. Which only made sense, which was cool because it only made sense if you knew the backstory. Yeah, that, their relationship. Yeah, that they had started Woot. It's the same guys who did Woot, <laughs> and they sold to Amazon. And <laughs> 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 Did you ever read that story? Like Paul Kafaustis linked Oh, yeah, they, I, think, I think I did. It, it sounds like it was not ideal. Yeah, it was like Amazon bought them, mm-hmm. and they didn't do well. They weren't happy. It didn't seem like Amazon cared. And, and the, um, the founder had uh, like a breakfast with Jeff Bezos. Bezos? Yeah, Bezos. whatever. And, you know, Bezos is going on and on about whatever. And he's like, well, look, c- can I ask you a question? He was like, why did you buy Woot? And it was like, he just like stared at his like breakfast. And there was like this one weird thing on his, you know, breakfast platter. Oh, right, know, right. Like a, some weird vegetable. He was like, your thing was like this, this piece of weird lettuce. I didn't understand it. So I wanted to buy it. Oh, my God. I didn't get it. So I just wanted to buy it. What a psycho! Yeah, he seems like a real nut job. He does. He seems. He seems. And like the whole story of the, like the Amazon, the Fire Phone, it just sounds nuts. Yeah, that was that was some great reporting. I forget if I talked about this on the show or if I just linked it up on Daring Fireball. But Austin Carr wrote that for uh, Fast Company, and really, really top notch. Like if you want to bemoan the lack of actual reporting that goes on today man right. that's a great counterexample because he really did the legwork he clearly got people who worked on that phone to talk and bezos you know. it sounds like basically bezos like it was his passion project he dove in with both feet and i don't say micromanaged but he like he had would not he would not go off his decisions at, at any point right like he, he was very decisive about exactly how this thing was going to work and wasn't listening to anybody yeah, it's like, went? yeah, I think long story short, well, how did the fire phone come to be? I would say long story short, based on Austin Carr's reporting, it was something to the effect of we should do a phone. If we do a phone, should it, it should either be really cheap or it should be, it has to, if it's not really cheap, then it has to compete with the iPhone. Oh, and, and the, the 3D, it's got to do 3D, right? Doesn't well, that become like a thing? That was the thing. Like, so then the next step, Bezos was like, well, I want to compete with the iPhone. And because I think he wanted to make a phone that he would actually use, right? So, like, what's the point of like them making a cheap phone if they themselves are also going to use iPhones? So they wanted to; they're going to go high end. Mm-hmm. Then, then the next step in the logical chain is: well, then we have to have a hook, right? There has to be something if we're going to sell a phone that's like four or five hundred bucks. There has to be something that is compelling about it. And Bezos latched onto this three D thing. You know, everybody knows the basic, you know, that there's 3D interface that using accelerometers and the four cameras on the front, you know, that it can, it, it, without any special glasses, it makes like a fake 3D effect on the flat surface of the phone. And it, there was like no budging him off that that's, you know, that's like our Siri. That's our hook that we can advertise. Everybody's going to go nuts for it. And, there was apparently a lot of internal skepticism that this would have any actual appeal. Like, well, what's the point? It's a neat, tr- the gist of a lot of the people seem to think, well, it is a neat trick, but what is the point? Right. And then the phone shipped and everybody said, well, it's a neat trick, but what's the point? But he, he stuck with it. Right. Well, he printed up a lot of cardboard boxes that said buy a fire phone. That was so weird. The first time I, I got an Amazon box with that, that on the tape, I was like, what? I was like, somebody sent me an Amazon Fire Phone. I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing because every you know, and I thought it was believable for me because nobody's ever sent me a phone like no company, but like I do get some equipment to try. You weren't in that Sprint program back in the day. 
No. I was in some, I, well, I've gotten, I got the G1 from Google. HTC was nice enough to send me that. I remember first. that. That was fun. And, uh, but I was in this thing where Sprint would just, they were sending bloggers like new phones every few months, like in the days right. before. I remember because it was around the time of the iPhone and I yeah. finally got this totally crazy looking one where it had screens on both sides and it was kind of meant to look like an iPhone. But you would do yeah. stuff, you would need to flip the phone around and use different keyboards and a touch screen. It was totally crazy. Right. Well, I, but it's not outlandish to no. think that, that somebody would send me a Fire Phone. And that's what I thought it was. And it was a box. It was a box that was about the size that a phone might come in. And I was like, I cannot believe somebody sent me a Fire Phone. <laughs> and then I opened it up and it was, I don't know, toothpaste. So great. All right. Um, Should we do it? Well, let's do one more thing and then we'll do it. Here's the other thing. I want to go circle back on the um, on the vaccinations. Oh Jesus! Well, not vaccinations in particular, but to me, it's it's a product of the internet age. This is why I'm a little pessimistic about it getting fixed because I think pre-internet, you there just wasn't enough information for people to do that. Like you know, your best source of information on the health of your kid was what your pediatrician told you, and if your pediatrician said we recommend these immunizations on this schedule. Well, you know, you're well, and, and maybe you might rely on your family too, right? Yeah, think about you know, like the things you hear about brand loyalty and how people who are Pampers, you know, the mom used Pampers, so they use Pampers, and we're a Heinz ketchup family and so forth. Like, you know, I think a lot of people, especially at a young and impressionable age, having a kid, take a lot of that from from what their family would say. They'd be like, "Are you kidding me? You know, uh, you know, Aunt Aunt Linda died because she wasn't vaccinated. Of course, you're going to vaccinate your kids." And it's, you know, that now, though, you know, and not that I'm not trying to say that pre-internet that nobody questioned their doctor, of course. I mean, you know, the second opinion is part of our vernacular. You know, of course, people might question their doctor, especially if, you know, the recommendation was surgery or something like that. But now it's so easy for people to just find what they want to find. Whereas you couldn't do that before. And there's that stencil. It's a spray painted stencil. It's all, you know, you can't go anywhere without seeing it, but you see it everywhere. This, uh, the saying, stop making stupid people famous, <laughs> right? Which is trite, but it's true. It is absolutely the problem of the modern age is that we've made a lot of stupid people very famous. And well, not But we also feel like, think about something like WebMD. And I don't think any of us can say we've never looked at WebMD when we're pretty sure we have cancer. Like, you know, there is also the the internet has empowered us to believe that we we can learn a lot on our own. I guess this is kind of what you're already saying, but you know, now we feel like there's this resource in the same way that we might not go spend several weeks at the library, you know, looking up carcinoma. Now today, like we'll keep keep looking until we find the thing that makes sense to us. Yeah, and it's you know, yeah. Again, the worst thing you can possibly do when you have some kind of health problem is Google it, and it's of course the first thing that we all do. <laughs> I mean, you can't help but do it, but it's the worst thing you can do. Totally, it's because it's just gonna. It now you have whatever your problem is, and now you've got terrible anxiety about it because you've proven that you have you know something incurable. Have you ever gone into a doctor's office with a printout? No, I have not. Mm, they do not like that. Nope, but I'm not <laughs> saying I wouldn't though. <laughs> Right. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm just saying I, I haven't. I could see Amy doing a lot of research. I could see her being a very well-informed, you know, with the kid stuff. I could see yeah. her being a very well-informed parent on that stuff. 
Yeah, I think she's very she is hyper informed. You know, I, you know, and hyper vigilant, right? Like she's got yeah. she's got that epipen. Like you know, she's like Marsh, Marshall Dillon with that thing, right? Yeah, and she does. She really does know an awful lot about it. I mean, I, again, I don't. I think she'd be the first to tell you that she does not know more than uh, our Jonas's allergist does, but right. she certainly knows a lot more than she used to. Yeah. yeah. But I do think that that's, I, I don't know, I feel like that's a big part of the problem of the modern age is that you're going to be, you know, there's a, there's a, it's easy for anybody to have a, a, a soapbox and get, you know, more than just the people who can, you know, in the old days, if you're a lunatic, only the people within ear earshot could hear you. Now anybody right. can, can listen. Yeah, and it's funny. There's all these little setting aside the dark web or the dark net or whatever. Uh, there's this one funny sort of um, source of information that's been around for a long time, but still remains largely hidden from plain sight, which is forums or fora, I guess. Yeah, there are so many places. Where if you Google for certain kinds of information, all kinds of certain kinds of information, you are very likely to. And uh, I just somebody suggested, for example, yesterday I was. Talking, I think yesterday I'm back to work talking about how I'm, I'm trying not to drink too much coffee. You know, I don't want to be too spazzy. And somebody had recommended this stuff called L-theanamine or something like that, which is like a green tea extract or something. And so I went in and I Googled it. And like so many results on forums where people are like saying the most outlandish things. But like I kept reading it. I, I, I immediately felt like, you know, I got to take all this with a grain of salt. But I still kept reading, looking for somebody who sounded like they knew what they were talking about. And I have no way of knowing if anybody knows what they're talking about. I think it's a do very you, common thing. Do you I find that as I'm getting older and I, f I find that I'm getting a lot more sensitive to things like uh, having drunk too much coffee. Like oh, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's like, I think it's actually more of like a self-awareness though, than like, not that I used to be able to metabolize more. It's that I would drink too much coffee and wouldn't even notice. Whereas now I'm like, wow, my brain is bananas right now. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I talk about this a lot on the show with Dan. Uh, I, I mean, I, I have to be very circumspect about something I, that sounds um, unbelievable to me now, which is that I have to be very careful about how much caffeine or stimulants in general I put in my body after about 12 or one, because they say the half-life or like it's mostly out of your body in like eight hours. And that's not true for me. I'll just be laying, if I have a coffee at two, I'll just be laying there in bed with my heart beating. And so, and, uh, and also the, the, the thing I've said other places is I feel like I don't always get the same positive effects that I used to get, but I definitely still get all the negative effects. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where I don't, it used to be where I was like, I'm, I'm young and virile and I can have Thai food and coffee at 11 at night. And now today, like, I, that's just, that's a terrible idea for me. So yeah, the sensitivity for real. Yeah. There's lots of stuff like that. Foods too. I mean, yeah. I, anyway. I make the same amount of coffee every day and I think it's, you know, it's like the right dose for me. But then like I used to, I don't really do it anymore. Like sometimes I just get bored at four in the afternoon and think, well, I'll have another, I'll, you know, go make one. I've done that my whole life. That's exactly I'll, what I would do. Some people, people eat at three o'clock and I'm like, right. why don't I have a coffee? I'll go make one. I'll make one cup with the AeroPress and then I'll, you know, taste a little better. And, um, and then I'm, you know, at like 6 p.m., I'm like, wait, I've been trying to read this 800-word article for half an hour, <laughs> and instead I've got 20 other tabs here. I really wanted to read this article. What happened to it? <laughs> I totally had that this morning. I had two and cups then of I'm coffee. Like, Go ahead. Well, and then I'm like, oh, that's that freaking coffee. I should not have had that extra coffee. I did that this morning. I had, I had two cups of coffee, and I sat down 
to read the entire Wikipedia page on the history of the MPAA rating system, which doesn't seem that hard. You know, it's pretty standard English. I got like, I got like two headings in and I was like, let's ride bikes. I, you know, I couldn't even concentrate. <laughs> so I'm slightly prepped, but. <laughs> All right. Let me do one more uh, sponsor. Okay. And that is our good friends at Fracture. And you guys know Fracture. Fracture is a place you send them your photos, your images. They print those photos directly onto glass. And then they put them in a really cool cardboard package that serves after you open the package as um, the thing that you can use to hang it on the wall or the thing you can fold out to prop it up on your desk or your mantle or wherever you want to put it. Uh, all self-contained right there and your photos printed beautifully directly on glass. Um, I always use the same analogy that it, it comes across like the way when they started laminating the LCDs to the iPhone displays and makes the pixels look like they're right on the glass. Well, that's what your printed photos look like when wow. you get them from Fracture. Really beautiful. Uh, it, I just can't emphasize how easy it is once you get them in your house. It's ready to be hung. You don't have to take it and go get the frames at Ikea or wherever and then put the photo in a frame. It is a frame. It's right there. It has no border. It's beautiful. Um, great, great gift idea. Uh, probably too late, I guess, for you guys for Valentine's Day. But I don't know. Mother's Day is coming up. That's for sure. Great gift idea. Um, just go there. Check them out. And they have great prices. They have all sorts of sizes um, from really small to really, really big. Um, uh, there's the square ones. So you can uh, print your Instagrams, whatever you want to do. Really great stuff. I cannot emphasize enough. If you have any reason that you want to print a photo, take a good photo of your kid. Like, I should I should get this one hanging on the wall. Go to Fracture. Do it there. You will not regret it. Um, their website, FractureMe.com. FractureMe.com. And they have a code, Daring Fireball, all one word. And you'll save 15% on any order. That's real cash. So go to FractureMe.com. Get a photo printed out and use that code, Daring Fireball. You'll save some money. All right, here's the idea. What do you want to do? Well, you, you, you mentioned it, because it was actually your idea at first. No, you know, you can go ahead. Well, the, the basic idea, not to turn it into a parenting podcast, but mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, <laughs> the, the overarching dilemma of what movies do you let your kids watch when? Like, what age? Like, right. where do you balance this? And I have found it to be, for the, you know, from the get-go, right? From when he was Jonas was old enough to just sit in front of a TV, it's a, a vexing dilemma, and I never it's anticipated totally, totally a moving target. I totally and I never anticipated it being difficult. I just always thought before I had a kid that at any given moment you could give me any movie or TV show and I could instantly tell you whether it was age appropriate or not. But it ends up being, right. I think, devilishly tricky. Well, exactly right. So, I mean, the only thing I would want to establish is that, you know, we went to college and stuff. We understand that there are things like ratings. I think that the part that makes this so challenging is how different every kid is in terms of what they are sensitive to, um, what's likely to be problematic or, you know, to cause troubles and nightmares. It's it's not as simple. I, I would I would I would postulate it's not nearly as simple as just saying I'm gonna trust the MPAA. Because there are plenty of G rated movies with stuff in it that a three year old, some three year olds, right? A given three year old should not see. And if the parents know that, like, you know, it's really good to avoid that. I mean one that comes up a lot is like scary music. 
a genre of what's just called scary music, like cellos. We're going into the woods. Some kids that could watch somebody be decapitated freak out. My daughter, things jumping into and out of frame completely freak her out. Really? You know, oh yeah, you know, like in like a horror movie kind of thing, like where somebody. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah, like in the background pops up. Uh, even in in any kind of a movie, no matter how innocuous, it can kind of freak her out. So yeah, exactly. It's it's not the thing is it's. And then on the other hand, there are some kids where like, if you fast forward through this one scene or this other scene, they would be totally fine watching some PG-13 movies. Yeah. And it's just, a, it's, I, I think it's, I'm, sur- I'm sure we both have some horror stories about terrible decisions, but also just, <laughs> I think it's interesting to talk about because I think everybody wants to look like they're real smart about it. And I think almost everybody who lets their kid watch movies worries about it, Wor- worries about getting the mix wrong. Yeah. And, um. Uh- I'll give you one example from from Jonas uh, when he was young, and we we I would say on the grand scheme of things we are relatively permissive and we always have been, but <laughs> think, I don't, think? I do, and uh, but I'm laughing I also, because I used to shake my head when you would tell me things that you would let him do, and now I do the same stuff. I but also I really feel like a big part of that though was knowing what he was good with and he was good I think with relatively advanced like violence in movies you know uh, he watched Star Wars very very young and you know I don't think that there I watched it when I was in kindergarten too that was my thinking I don't know I was in kindergarten when it came out and I turned out all right uh uh but I remember, but it, you never know though. There's always little things. So one of the, we, we let him watch the Pirates of the Caribbean movies at a very early age. Um, and I think that those are PG. I don't think they're PG 13. I don't know, man. They got some pretty spooky stuff, but well, he, he didn't, but the point is he didn't mind it. No, not at all. Except for one scene, which is, and I don't remember which one of them it's in, but there's one scene where, uh, uh, it must have been the first one where, where they're going after the gold that if you stole the gold, you became a ghost or whatever. And you had to drop a piece of blood and they cut somebody. Somebody takes a knife and just puts like a little like a PG rated cut on the palm of somebody's hand. Oh, yeah. And he it, it just flipped him out. And he like, had like a fit and he was like, we were like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he just was holding his hand and he said, yes. like, I can feel it. I can feel it. And he's just screaming like it made him feel as though his hand had been cut. My kid will com- um, compulsively, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, will like automatically like violently turn away from the screen whenever there's blood, like, you know, like a yeah. cut or something like that, or like yeah. a wound. It's, it's, she absolutely turns away. Yeah. And so we, Amy and I, you know, it, it, you know it, just, it was like, you know, middle of the day, noon, you know, me working at home, you know, like, probably, you know, five, six years ago. Um, and we both looked at each other like we just gave each other this look like, oh, my God, what have we done? We've we've wrecked this poor child's mind by letting him watch this movie that we should have known he was too young to watch. Uh, but you just never know. And then and, and he would be good. He wouldn't refuse to watch that movie. But I'll tell you what. He had it down stone. He knew exactly when that scene was coming up. And he would run out and he would say, uh, what did he used to say? He'd call it past, past forward. Instead of fast <laughs> my daughter forward. would say fast over. She said, Daddy, fast over that. (laughs) Anytime when they got to the point where in Toy Story 2, when Buzz has to, at the beginning in the video game, when he has to walk out across the floating discs. Oh, yeah, yeah. She would always say, Daddy, fast over. (laughs) Fast over. I like that one, too. They're both good. Pass forward. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's uh, Jonas's list included uh, the Wampa. No Wampa. 
Oh, Pass see, that, and that's a good. That's another example of a of a jumping into frame thing. Yeah, you know what? That's it. Yeah, because uh, you know, and and they and the suspense, right? It's because the the Wampa, uh, the first time you see him, it's the shock air, right? Like Luke is like looking for comets or whatever that hit the you know hit the ground, and all of a sudden, boom! The Wampa jumps into frame. Yep, and ma- and makes a terrible noise. So you've got that, right? That and yeah, that. Jonas didn't like that. And Jonas wanted that whole the whole thing skipped though because he also could not bear the suspense of Luke hanging hang, hang there like a side of beef. Yeah, and not, you know, it's like the first time he's ever even tried to use the force to get a lightsaber and it's just sitting there jiggling, you know. It's it's like, you know, it's like film school 101, you know, like how to build a little suspense, you know, jiggle the lightsaber, do this, the mute, you know, a perfect of course John Williams score for the moment which furthers the the suspense. Mm-hmm. Couldn't take it. He would just is he would just What have about like an um one that I was scared of and my kid was scared of? What about when in episode 4 when Luke's looking through the binoculars and the Tuscan Raider goes No. Not at all. Even though to me it's wow. actually just a, it's the same thing, right? Yeah, totally. But no. Yeah, it didn't bother him. Nope. That's so weird. See, this right. is what I'm talking about. All right. The Wampa terrifying. The Tuscan Raider who does the exact same thing. <laughs> You know, but you know, here's but you get. I remember talking to Matt Howie about this and about how his daughter. He felt like his daughter was, you know, very sensitive to certain kinds of things. She's a really sweet kid, and like relationship things. And some people are very sensitive to almost everything, and other people, it's virtually impossible to tell. My daughter has seen some really grisly shit in movies, like she saw Deadpool putting her head, putting his head back on at the end of an excellent. I didn't show her the whole movie. I was just like, you got to see the scene where Deadpool puts his head back on. It's pretty great. A terrible movie, but but there are some things where I can't guess. Okay, so for example. She's watched a ton of Doctor Who, a little scared by the Daleks. She's watched uh, pretty much almost every Marvel movie except for a few and all the Star Wars movies numerous times. But then, you know what we watch? Turn on, did you ever see uh, that, that show on Cartoon Network from last year called Over the Garden Wall? No, never heard. Of it's it. kind of like a, it's an adventure timey thing about these two little boys who are brothers uh, having these like kind of fairy tale adventures combined with like a silly symphonies cartoon feel. It's a really great show, but it is like a fairy tale kind of show where there's scary stuff that's not exactly explained. There's just, it's but it's a kids show. It's like it is in the same way as Adventure Time, kind of. It's kind of a kids show, and that is the one that stuck with her. This creature on there called the Beast. And I didn't find out for weeks that like she thought the beast was under her bed. She was scared to even say anything. And I was like, oh, honey, I am so sorry. And mom, of course, gives me the eyes. It's like, see, see, see? I knew this was going to happen. But again, would you guess? I mean, like, she didn't mind people's faces melting off in Raiders of the Lost Ark. But the idea of like a, a black bee, this, this kind of cartoon bear in the forest is terrifying. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. I remember I had a friend growing up who... Um, I missed, I don't know how, but I missed Raiders of the Lost Ark when it was in the theaters. So I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it always bothered me. How old were you? I was, I was about 13, 14. I was, I was eight. Okay. So, you know, I, or nine, eight, I think it was nine, yeah, 1981. So I was eight. Um, but I desperately wanted to see it. Couldn't understand how I missed it. You know, seemed like something I could have got my dad to take me to it. Somehow I missed it. But then, you know, of course, once it was out of theaters, there was no chance to see it. But I knew the basic story and or, or I just knew that there was something about at the end, everybody's faces melted. And my one friend growing up was like completely freaked out about it. Like he had gone to see it and came out like crying, like embarrassed himself, like his mom, you know, oh, came out of the movie kid. theater. Oh, no. Just <laughs> 
cry. And he wasn't the type was of kid. It was scary. Because it isn't just that, like, haha, little skin melts off. It's like a full on Ray Harryhausen thing where, like, their entire head, like, it's, it's a horrifying, really effective effect. Yeah, yeah. But he was freaked out. And he was the type of kid who just would not, you know, he wasn't like a, a sense. You wouldn't call him a sensitive kid. You really wouldn't. You know, it's just a normal boy who's going to see what should be. And a, that just was happened to be his thing. Yeah. Like it just touched a nerve. What about, um, th- have you seen either the trailer or the movie for Paddington? That's probably a little young for Jonas. Yeah. But no, you've seen the I trailer, I've, right? I've seen the trailer. Okay. The trailer, I, I, I have heard from friends that the movie is, well, it's one of those movies, one of those rare movies where the movie's actually way better than the trailer looks, which I'm very glad to hear. But do you, you've seen the trailer. There's a scene where he's in the bathroom. I don't I, I'm going to, someday my daughter's going to hear this. I'm going to be in so much trouble. There's a scene in the bathroom where he's like interacting with what it is to be a bear using the bathroom. And he takes a toothbrush and sticks it in his ear and pulls out this giant wad of totally disgusting looking earwax. (laughs) It's a dumb shot. It's about three seconds. And if I say the word Paddington, my kid gets freaked out. She cannot stop thinking about the disgusting earwax. She will hear nothing about going to see that movie because of this one scene with earwax. Remember, she's seen Deadpool put his head back on. But the earwax thing put her off her beer. Yeah, it's inexplicable. Now, here's here's the if I can I toss out one more axis in in bad parenting is the balance weighing weighing the balance. Okay, so let's let's take a, an extreme example. Um, like, would you hesitate? Let's take a kid who's like a classic introduction to movies, age of like five. Um, like, would you show your kid the third X Men movie if they're five years old? See, now me, I'm going to go, you know what? Uh, I'm not because it's not a very good movie. There is a lot of inside words in it, as we say in our house. There is some violence in it. But you know what? It's just not worth it because whatever she sees in it, it's not worth it because the movie's not that good. Would you hesitate to show your kid Toy Story 2? Oh, my gosh, no. It's got scary things in it a little bit, but it's so worth it. Right. So isn't that part of the balance, though? It isn't like you're making your kids sit there and watch Castle Freak or something like you're thinking like, oh, this is a perfect. Is this the perfect age to introduce this wonderful story to this kid? Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, it has to be, you know, the, the quality of the movie factors. into. Because I mean, you, in my own defense, I'm sitting there with her watching the movie like, you know, except in the case of Mulan 2, when I'm on my iPad, like I am there watching the movie with her. We're talking about the movie. Not that it's like, you know, freaking Harvard or something. But just to be clear, like I, I, it's got to be a movie I like. It's got to be good. And it's got to be appropriate given what I can know or guess. Um, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I think, you know, what else have had Jonas seen early? I mean, he saw the Bond movies back when Dan and I were talking about them. I mean, I don't know if you watched all of them with me, but he sat through a bunch of them with me. And that was weird on two levels because it also, in addition to the fact that it's kind of violent for a kid who was probably six or seven at the time, um, there, there's the anachronisms, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and, you know, I think Dan and I spent like half an hour just talking. I got about you on it. the pacing, and this <laughs> is this is one that blew me out of the water. I sent you that picture of my kid punching Goldfinger in the face at a casino. Right. Um, here's here's the thing: I was I, I knew this one was going to be. A long shot. Are, people are going to think that that yeah, that was like a total Merlin euphemism, but that you literally sent me a text with a picture <laughs> a of your daughter yeah. next to a picture of Goldfinger. An unlicensed a- mural of James Bond characters <laughs> punching Art Goldfinger in the face. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so 
Okay, and this one, I barely, barely, barely got this one past the censors. My wife was pretty iffy about this. Because if it's one where we're really worried, I will watch the entire movie through again to be sure. I definitely, we have to find time to talk about 80s movies and how, what completely weird animals 80s movies are. Because you never know when, when some boobies are going to show up in an 80s movie. It's crazy. But Goldfinger, I was like, oh, it's it really is the best James Bond movie. And it's got this kind of a silly plot, but it's not that hard to follow. But you know what my main thing was? I was like, she is going to watch. She'll watch up to when he takes off the scuba thing and have his tux on. That's pretty funny. But I was like, the pacing of this movie by her standards, is so glacial, there's no way she's going to watch more than 20 minutes. And then it became the movie that she demanded to watch. It was completely perplexing. She's watching a thing where people are sitting drinking mint juleps in Kentucky and talking about <laughs> contaminating gold. I was blown away. So again, bad on, I had no idea. That ended up being one that she really likes. And also when the laser almost cuts him in the penis, she turns and goes, it's going to cut him in the penis. <laughs> we did it in 2011. So Jonas was seven. And when I let him that's, that's watch. Same here with her. Yeah, seven. Right. Um, <laughs> seven years. I don't think I, don't I watched think it was, when I was seven. It was on TV once a year. I I think the same way. I don't know. I mean, you know, one thing too with the violence. I know, and and I know a lot of the you know. There's uh, what are the big three? There's violence, language, and sex. Right. Yep. I mean, that's it's the big three like concerns. You got smoking. Guess, you got sass mouth. But I would say violence. And scariness. Scariness is. I would say scariness is probably the top issue because mm -hmm. I, I really do think that the you know like a truly scary movie you know can upset a kid for days. Um, I do realize. I absolutely realize that there are some kids, a lot of times boys, who if they see like a movie where there's a lot of like. Uh, shooting action, even in a sort of cartoony way like Star Wars, that it, it gets the kid all amped up, and then the kid starts jumping around the house, smashing things. Right, and <laughs> right. it's like you know, that or they, like, or you know. like I've shown her bits, I've shown her YouTube videos of, of Bruce Lee, like a best of Bruce Lee or something like that, and she just wants to kick everything after that. Well, and, or worse, that you want kids want to kick other kids or yeah, something like right, that. Well, right. Jonas has never ever been like that. Jonas is a very gentle kid, and it's uh, anything that he sees in a movie does not alter his behavior you know in the real world oh, so cool. i mean i think it allowed us to be a little permissive you know in that way but i think most kids are actually pretty good that way i think it's kind of rare you know so the violence we've always you know i don't know been a little liberal on it depends on the violence it depends on i mean you know the thing is there are phrases that i would hear people use before i had a child and i would i would just i would want to strangle the person the phrase a phrase i used to sneer at imitative behavior you know, that's sometimes in these reviews, you'll see, well, yeah. it contains, you know, sass mouth and imitative behavior, meaning, you know, the Three Stooges, right? That's a good example. Like, if you watch enough Three Stooges, you're probably going to want to hit somebody on the head. You know, Maggie Simpson with the mallet or whatever. But um, I think I think there's also, boy, and this is really where I don't know. I'm out on a limb, but I think there are differences. There's different kinds of violence. I think Stormtroopers getting bloodlessly shot with comic book violence is really different from Hellraiser. At, yeah, or or yeah. like the like saw. I think there is a really big difference in degree and the personalness of it. So like there are some things, and again, we got to talk about seventies and eighties movies. There is so much completely random, weird nudity and sex in seventies and eighties movies, especially eighties movies. But there's also some like extremely personal violence in in those kinds of movies. So like the idea of like holding somebody with a knife to their throat and cutting them, I think of that as a different kind of animal than a stormtrooper getting shot personally. Yeah, I do too. Or even with just sticking to guns with, 
like when Bond, especially in the older ones, when Bond shoots somebody, it's practically like shooting a stormtrooper. I mean, it's like, right. a puff, you know, right, like right, the right. squib, the squib in the chest was just like a puff of smoke and the guy just, you know, falls into, a, 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 you know, sharks with lasers pit. Uh, <laughs> whereas I think the more visceral violence in the more recent ones, like the, the Craig ones, you know, is a little different. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, no, no. I mean... Those, well, a lot different. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I'm sorry, I didn't get a piece of beef jerky. I thought I could pull it off. Um, <laughs> hmm, um, how's it going? What do you think about... What do you think about the actual ratings? I, I still think it was a mistake to introduce the rating PG-13. Um, I find it... Well, it certainly was easier at one time to understand... Everybody knew what R-rated meant. R-rated right. meant you could expect some some serious nudity and simulated sex. You could expect some shits and fucks and you could expect smoking and drugs and, you know, French connection. That's an R rated movie. That was easy to understand. Now, when I'd like per that article, I, I one tenth read today, 1984 comes along. You've got, was it temple of doom? No. Yep. Temple of doom and, and gremlins were two movies yeah. that people were just like, this is just now gremlins. I think I could see gremlins freaking my kid out personally. And so it's kind of a weird movie. Yeah, it is a weird movie. We just rewatched it, uh, not recently, but maybe like last Christmas, because it's sort of a Christmas movie. Yeah, so like it a year, is. about a year ago. But even even something like a movie we all love, it's they take a movie like Groundhog Day. If Groundhog Day had just the smallest bit of editing, uh, it would be maybe a canonical family movie. It's so close to being a, a Ghostbusters. You know how much nookie there is in Ghostbusters. You got a fake blowjob. <laughs> You got remember that? <laughs> remember that where Dan Aykroyd gets the ghost blowjob? I do. <laughs> and it's like, what's this doing in this movie? It's just a, this is a ki- a movie for kids, or just you know, and there's all these movies. This is still true today. I, I know with the Marvel movies, they're usually pretty good with the salty language until like the last act, and that's when all the the shits and fucks come out. Is always <laughs> you're like the I, what is the rule? Isn't there kind of like a standard for how many you're allowed in a PG thirteen movie? Yeah, I think there's some kind of... Cap. And I think they like to really load them up in the back to, for, for when the right. uh, closing action. But I'm just saying, like, that's the part that's perplexing. Is there, like, are you going to tell me Ghostbusters is not right for kids? Oh, here we go. Back to the Future. Like, there's some stuff in Back, back to the Future is a great, a great family movie that still has some stuff in it that's a little edgy. I mean, you know, he's in his underwear. I guess that's not a big deal. But, you know, it's straight... Oh, Home Alone? I mean, would you... Home Alone, that's a kid's movie, right? Yeah, we've watched him. Yeah, he gets an iron in the face. <laughs> that's that's worse than Wolverine? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The violence in Home Alone is kind of weird because it's, on the one hand, it's like they're con- kind of going for that Three Stooges thing. And on the other hand, there's like actual acid like what eating the What about when he's of- walking up the steps in bare feet and you see the nail sticking yeah. out of the step and you're like, this is the most horrific thing that I've ever seen. Because every kid's terrified. Your parents get you terrified about getting tetanus from a nail, right? And he steps on like a three-inch exposed like nail. Right. It, it, in a, it's an interesting movie because <laughs> it it does, though. But like his – what's his name? Kevin, Kevin. Young Kevin's mastery of these two buffoon criminals is established cinematically such that you kind of get the sense that the kid's going to come out on top. 
that he's you know and that therefore his his mastery of of these two criminals the way that he prolongs their stuff it really does kind of in a in a sense it's a little bit more like torture than it no, is it's self-defense like, it is. it's like grand guignol it's it's like he's deliberately <laughs> making this as awful as he can yeah it's less self-defense and more torture he's kind of enjoying it <laughs> oh man Actually, I think there's a couple of scenes where, like, one of his, you know, traps works, and he just flat out, like, high-fives himself. Yes! <laughs> that, that's where yes. my daughter picked that up, where she does the, like, her fist out and pumps it in and goes, yes! <laughs> Fuller, go easy on the Pepsi. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just saying. Okay, now, how about this? All just, right, PG-13. So, they're, they're, they, I think it was a mistake, because I think okay. that the old way was, G. that's a kid's movie. That's for everybody. PG is it's in between and R is for adults and it doesn't matter why it doesn't matter if it's P- violence P- PG, PG says it all PG, PG says like your mileage may vary like yeah. you know it, it basically it almost kind of says like you need to like watch this before your kids do practically yeah. or like or like be advised right yeah be advised think about it you know if your kid is younger and if your kid is over 10 it's probably probably good yeah you know yeah, I don't know, but it's again like to me the hard part is this sensitivity. I sent you a link to this website that I, I look at a lot, and I, I I'm somewhat ambivalent about it, and yet I find it extremely useful. I cannot believe I'm saying this. Have you seen that? I sent you just look at that link, kids, yeah. kids in mind. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea because they go out and they review these movies, but it's very funny. So the 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 nut of it is they come up with this these three like uh, three numbers, not numerals because there's a ten. But how much sex and nudity nudity is there? from zero to 10 how much violence and gore from zero to 10 how much profanity from zero to 10 which i think it's it's a great like you know at least a fast glance where i mean sometimes i use this to go like okay we're thinking about these two different movies like which one of these looks better on the face of it and sometimes you know what i mean it's a quick sniff test but then did you go in and look at the actual page at like how (laughs) it's like porn where they describe all the stuff that's actually in it no, I didn't. I'm looking at it so now. Sponge, sponge, and the way they describe it is hilarious. I want to meet the person who writes this. Uh, SpongeBob movie, which I absolutely do not want to see. Sex and nudity, you get it too. We see many human men on the beach with bare chests. Many women wear skimpy bikinis and reveal cleavage. A sponge accidentally pulls the shorts partially down from a starfish's waist, and we see the upper buttocks and buttock cleavage. I've got one here for Mordecai. A husband and his wife attempt to kiss several times in different scenes. But his mustache makes her gag, <laughs> and he gags in reflex. Oh my please, god! Please see the violence and gore category for more details on the gagging. It's but doesn't it read like something like a Japanese man would buy for porn? <laughs> American Sniper profanity gets a ten. About one hundred and fifteen f words and its derivatives. Ten sexual references. Thirty-two scatological terms. Twenty anatomical terms. Twelve mild obscenities. Name calling including Sunshine Quitter, Nuts, Old Man, Hotbox, Arrogant, Self-Centered, Sitting Ducks, Legend. Uh, See, why Why count Somebody wrote all, all of those down, John. Why count all 115 fucks? Yeah. Because clearly, I mean, how long is the movie? It, even if it's three hours. Right, right, right. You're, you're, you're on the two, two hours, and Two hours and 12 minutes. So it's roughly one a minute. <laughs> you gotta you, fuck a minute. <laughs> Right, unless, unless there's like a burst at at the end, it's you know I think you only have to go about two or three movies or minutes into this movie, and you can just check off ten on a profanity. <laughs> Some of these, oh my god! All right, you, all right, it's like this: like you're if you're like the inspector for a hotel, 
Like, you don't have to count the bugs. Oh, like once you see five rats in the lobby, like, oh, yeah. new dealer. You just check that off. You just check it off. <laughs> you don't have box. to count them. Right. You don't have to count them. Uh, 1998 film, uh, a lot of people, a lot of families have enjoyed called The Big Lebowski. Uh, profanity, uh, they give it a 10. About 240 F words. <laughs> <laughs> many scatological references, many anatomical references, many mild obscenities. Here to fix Dinocobble. <laughs> this is great. I, I I love this, but I know that I'm going to lose a lot of time on this site. Like, Oh, I know. And, but the thing is, I can't show it to my wife. Oh, I mean, I'm going to say I can't. She's a grown-ass woman. But, you know, it makes it, when you, re when you read it in this clinical way, it makes it sound so much worse. When they say a starfish's... Uh, swimsuit is pulled down and reveals buttocks uh guys that's patrick it's patrick's butt he's a goddamn cartoon character it's okay if we see his butt all right i looked up uh fantastic mr fox which is actually i was just talking to i just watched it i love it so uh, much i love it i i kotke called it oh i when i i linked to a picture from it and he said it's underrated i i think it's my favorite wes anderson it's movie. it's really uh it's one of my all-time favorite movies let alone one of our families like there's two movies yeah. if we can't decide on anything and it comes to blows it's either the incredibles or mr fox that's it yeah that's actually, I, I love those, it those are yeah those are two good ones to, to leave at the top of the queue all right so i want <laughs> for sex and nudity it's only ranked a one out of ten which meshes with my memory uh here's what we've got we've Is got christopherson in a, in a swimsuit a husband and a wife kissing fox kiss and hug a teen boy and a teen girl fox flirt in a couple of scenes i do remember that you're supposed to right. be my lab partner i am Bullet number no you're not you're disloyal <laughs> Number two, a rat refers to a fox's wife as the quote town tart. <laughs> right. I yeah. I never. A, f a fox wife tells her fox husband that she is pregnant. So that gets counts for for a one on the sex nudity scale <laughs> while they're in a cage. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but again, you know what this is though. Okay, so I just gotta say this is this is actually really helpful though. Because like you say, right. this is the rats in the lobby title. It's like you can see like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Big Lebowski is not going to be great to watch with the kids. Am I wrong? No, we're going to skip this one. Uh, but it is also good that you can go through and look for the, like the tr stuff is like a trigger for your kids. 27 exclamation. This is for profanity. 27 exclamations. What the cuss? Cuss, cuss word. You're cussing with what, me? What the cuss? <laughs> that, they count that as a cuss word? Yeah. Cuss Cluster is a cuss, cuss word? <laughs> Cluster cuss. <laughs> uh, mm, they have a um, scatological terms uh, glossary. You got F word derivatives, which all have little asterisks in them. Scatological terms, religious profanities, mild obscenities. Friggin' would be would be counted as a mild obscenity. All right. Derogatory terms. Wow. But you know, I still I gotta say no. No, let me ask you if you remember this. Do you remember? I'm going to say circa mid to late 90s. Do you remember a service that was actually kind of like what became Netflix where you could get edited movies? I think it might have been a somewhat overtly Christian place, but you could get like a PG movie that had all of the stuff a certain kind of religious person would find offensive cut out. Of. Do you I, remember that at I all? Do, I do remember hearing about I it. I remember hearing about it. I don't, I don't know where it went or what it did, but isn't that, especially now in the digital age, that's a very interesting idea. Yeah, because it would be, you know, you could do it without losing fidelity. I mean, just now. you need just some basic metadata on like, well, you know, you, you could go in, it'd be so great. Because if you could go in and say, uh, you know what, my family is observant and we don't want any goddamns. Could you 
just with audio, blip out the goddamns, but leave in the hor- horrific violence or whatever. Like, say you want to show your kids Passion of the Christ. Let's go see <laughs> right. what Passion of the Christ looks like. But you know what I mean? Because I got to say, I, I, I might find that uh, it, it, it kind of goes against my some of my values about you know censorship or something, but that's what I'm asking for. You know, yeah. There are some movies I am much more likely to have my daughter watch in a hotel room because I know they've been, you know, edited down. They, they've taken out the really core. We watched Highlander in a hotel room, and she thought it was a riot. I would never show that to her at home, unedited. <laughs> I never thought about that, about looking for a hotel edit. <laughs> no, I love a like hotel the, edit. The director's cut, and then there's Hilton's cut. <laughs> wow, this is an unusual uh, unusual statistical spread on Passion of the Christ. Sex and nudity, it gets a one. Profanity, it gets a one. Violence and gore. Hmm. Full 10. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let her dance, dance, let her dance, dance. I've been, uh, now I'm looking for movies that I have let Jonas see that they don't even bother to list because it would be so inappropriate. (laughs) Right. The Shining is not listed. Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? That I've let him see it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think that's the only Kubrick movie he's seen. You're Batman. Wow. She's never seen any Kubrick. That was recent, though. That was within the okay. last year. Yeah, well, I think it was like last. You're summer. gonna say so Clockwork Orange till he's like twelve, probably, right? Yeah, Clockwork Orange is gonna have to wait because mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but there are some things. Uh, I got. I, oh, you know what? I'm not gonna tell you. I'll tell you when we're offline. But there's a movie that she has been dying to see for like a year, and we've read some of the book. We've ta- I've told her the entire story. <sighs> she really wants to see Hunger Games, and I'm like. Mm. it's she's seven like that's it is and again why too much personal violence like that yeah. the violence in hunger games i i'm gonna tell you i don't care i'm a 48 year old man i'm gonna say it i love the hunger games i thought it was a great movie i thought it was a lot of fun i thought it was very well done and i i, I just i i really liked it and uh i cannot wait it's one of those movies like that i'm constantly saying to her oh honey i cannot wait until you're old enough to watch this with me like that one um blade runner um what about Blade Runner? Has he seen Blade Runner? No. Yeah. That's Let pretty. Me think about that. Yeah. Huh. There's the, the Daryl Hannah. You got the eye. Character. You got the you got the replicants doing some pretty bad. Oh, you got yeah. Leon. You got Leon. Uh, there's some pretty bad stuff in, in that. I would probably let him watch it now, though. He's 11. I would probably let him watch it. <sighs> yeah. I'm worried. How much How much do they play up that Daryl Hannah is a prostitute? <laughs> that worries you. A little. Okay. You afraid it's going to be imitative behavior? Well, I don't know. I would He's going to want to go out and get a skin Runner. job, if you know what I mean? Yeah. But I would say only only within like the last year or so, I would oh, say sure, Blade sure, Runner sure. is probably. That's what was Blade Runner rated? It must have been rated must, R, must right? Be, I think it's got to be rated R. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are amazing, though. I'm telling you, there's something about 80s movies that seems completely random. Movies that in my head, I think of as being like, maybe because I saw them when I was a young teenager. Like, I'm so blown away. There's just be boobs out of nowhere in the movie. You're like, yeah. whoa, where did that come we, from? Uh, we just watched over Christmas, we watched uh, Weekend at Bernie's. And <laughs> How'd that go over? And, and he loved it. He absolutely loved it. Uh, but there were a couple of surprising 80s sort of boobies. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how else to describe them. Well, and, there was, and the thing was, though, it was so egregious. I, I think a lot of the movies I'm thinking of, it was by the time you had... Uh, theatrical, um, you know, VHS or beta, uh, cable, and certainly get it ready for distribution on TV. 
And if you think about something like Caddyshack, or you think about you know, Caddyshack, obviously way too much. But I can't, yeah. can't wait till I can watch that with her. But God, same here. Oh my god, I love it. We so thought much. about it. We thought about it, and then we were like running it through our heads. No. And there's so much of it that's good. But then you know, like, he'll appreciate it more later. I showed her some yeah. scenes. I showed her Carl finding the candy bar in the pool. I I, 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 I don't know when we're gonna have the talk about what abortion is, but it's not gonna be after <laughs> Caddyshack. So that waitress has a baby. <laughs> Um, uh, but what was I going to say about, oh, so, so, but it was funny though. Cause like, I think about like how, how like egregious and unnecessary so many of the boobies are where like, you could tell they made it to be easy to cut out where it'll just mm. be like, Hey, it's a shot of a girl taking her shirt off. And you're like, what was that? But like, you had right. to have that in every eighties movie, early eighties movie. Think about like stripes, you know? I mean, yeah. there's these movies yeah. that are like kind of mostly okay in some ways, but then are like super inappropriate in other ways. But yeah, there's gotta be, there's had to be like a scene where there were 23 year old yeah like having a pillow feathered, fight at a party feathered, or something yeah with feathered hair and they were either getting a hose down or having a pillow fight <laughs> well <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> an awful lot of actresses got hosed down or sudsed up in, in in completely mainstream hollywood movies in the 1980s let's have a car wash to save the orphanage <laughs> but there's no orphanage in the plot These sponges are soft right <clears throat> so what are we going to tell people? How do we help people with this? John, there are new parents out there. People are having babies like crazy people. How do we help people with this? I don't know. I feel like you I, I feel like you got to have faith in your kid. I feel like mm-hmm. cuz I don't know. I just remember when I was a kid when I was not allowed to watch certain movies. It was a constant source of frustration for me. And you felt uh, didn't you feel like a pariah? I did. And we had uh a neighborhood movie theater and it was so great. I don't, I think I I had to have talked about this on the show at some point, but it's probably years ago, probably with like Dan. But and it was I didn't even have to cross the street. It was cat a corner, like a like up and around the block from my parents' house. So I didn't even have to cross the street. And it was called the Majestic, and it was mm. an old time like vaudeville theater that at some point in the forties or fifties was turned into a movie theater, and. uh it was like connected to the fire company. So like half the building was fire trucks. The other half was a movie theater. And it was just right out of central casting of like old time matinee movie theater, uh, velvet seats. Wow. Uh, had a balcony, a big balcony, like uh, you would go around the side and it was run by a family. The guy who owned it was Mr. Dieter, Dieter or Dietrich Dieter, I think. And he, he was probably around 50 mm-hmm. and his dad was the projectionist and the ticket taker at the front door. His dad, he must have been uh, 75, but it, it to our eyes as like eight, nine year olds, he was ancient. He was like older than God. You know, he was, <laughs> he was, he was, he was older than the earth. Um, and then the kids, his like ne'er do well teenage son would sometimes be working. And it was such a great place. Oh my oh, God. Could you, it, could you it, sometimes get away with it? Well, what you could sometimes get away with is if the kid was behind, they had great popcorn, like the best popcorn in the universe. Mm. And they had, because it was like a little, you know, a little movie theater, they never got movies when they were new. They got movies right after they were new. So like uh, Empire Strikes Back would come out and it would play for three months at the multiplex. And then the the Majestic would get it for like, you know, however many weeks they wanted. Um, And they would sometimes have like two movies 
at the same time, even though it was just, you know, it wasn't a multiplex, one screen. But like in the afternoon, they might show like a kid's movie like Peter Pan. And then at nighttime, there was a, you know, John Travolta movie or something. Right. I don't know. Um, and they would also show uh, rock movies, like concert films from oh, like, like the midnight Stones movies and, kind of things. Yeah, like the, well, like just concert movies of like the Stones and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. And my parents would always get mad because when they showed those, like our our backyard would get trashed. Like kids, <laughs> kids coming out of the movie theater would like cut through like and and you know leave beer cans and stuff. But uh, it was such a great place. But I remember we used to go as a kid any Saturday where it was if it was winter or if it was rainy or whatever we would just go to the majestic we would just go there because it was like a dollar a dollar matinee your parent your mom wouldn't mind giving you the money you'd be out of their hair but every once in a while i remember one time specifically i wasn't allowed all my friends were going and they didn't give it like one thing about mr Dieter is he didn't give two shits how old you were if you had your dollar you could go see anything (laughs) so that the saturday matinee was cujo this is my this whole story is my way of saying it. I was not allowed. My mom checked and I I knew she wouldn't let me see it. So I hope I just said, Can I go to the Majestic? And she said, What's playing? I said, I don't know. She goes, Well, let me look. And she looks, you know, oh, in the no. newspaper, of course. And there it is, Cujo rated R. And now she can tell you you fibbed. And well, I don't know. I can't remember if I got Because you would just sometimes line. go and see what's there. Yeah. And we would often go if they had the same movie two weeks in a row. We'd go see it twice in a row. And if we if we sat in the balcony last time, we'll sit up in the front row this time. And you know, half the time on the balcony, we would just sit up there and throw popcorn on teenagers who were making out down below. <laughs> you know, in the back, um, there were like little kids up in the front row, little kids on the balcony, and then like teenagers making out in like the back row. And we would like try to throw popcorn on them. <laughs> uh, oh, the great thing—they had video games in the lobby, you know, coin up. Uh, it was like a little mini arcade in the lobby and you could play them. And the, so I said that like, the old man's dad was the projectionist. Well, the projection booth was up in the balcony and it took him, I swear, no joke, like five minutes to walk up the steps. <laughs> like he was seriously old Aww. and he would, he was so old that he would take the steps like left foot and then the right foot would be in the same step. Oh, left no. foot, right foot. So it was like a last call for video games. Like when his dad started going up the steps, you knew you had time for you could you could still get one more game in <laughs> without missing it. Uh, what a place! But I couldn't get into I couldn't get in to see Cujo. And I remember uh, Blue Lagoon. I I remember missing out on the Blue oh, Lagoon. Blue Lagoon. I remember seeing that on cable. Oh, brother. <sighs> But all my friends, my friends' parents just my, they just didn't check. I think I don't think anybody's. <laughs> I it was probably around eight or nine at the time. I don't think anybody in their right mind would let their eight or nine year old see Cujo. Um, but here's the thing too: I remember thinking I would be fine. I was not. I, I've never once was upset by a movie in my entire life as a kid. I was, you know, I, I think preternaturally mature. I could have. I and my friends saw Cujo and they were fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Including my friend Dave, who is the kid who got freaked out by Raiders of the Lost Ark. He went to see Cujo. Thought it was a cool movie. Yeah, I think if you know what you're in for, you know? Yeah. Uh, did I ever tell you my Blade Runner story? No. I hung out with older kids a lot of the time. And I went back um, from Florida to visit my friends in Ohio, uh, whatever that summer was when Blade Runner was out. And they were all older than me. And they could pass. And I looked like I was four. And I'm just, I'll never forget. We walk up there and they buy their tickets. In my hand of God, I walked up to the counter. I think I was holding an unlit cigarette maybe they'd given me. <laughs> I walk up to the counter and I go, one adult for Blade Runner. <laughs> How old are you? I was 13. <laughs> and like really one adult. <laughs> um, Superman 2. <too. laughs> 
did you ever do that as a teenager like like in your in your like teenage years did you ever do the thing where you'd buy a ticket for one that you know they'd sell you and then try to sneak in to i never that never occurred to me it's such that's such a smart trick i was scared to do anything i was always scared to buy beer i was scared to go to r-rated movies i was just i was so i was such a good kid i you know like a good kid like i I did not want to disappoint anybody in authority i was scared i was scared no i was a scammer (sighs) like the rise of the multiplex and then like once I was old enough. And those things, that the whole point is those things make money because they're so understaffed. They got like one right. kid that walks around and sweeps up popcorn once a day. Nobody's paying attention to who's going in those theaters. You go and sit somewhere near an adult, you're good to go. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think a bunch of Schwarzenegger's 80s movies were R-rated. Oh, um, yeah. You know, it was all, all those, it's just always shooting people up and blowing things up. But we'd just go, you know, we would just go and buy tickets for... I don't know, whatever we thought we could get into. And you could always sneak in. There was just always one guy like who would make sure you had a ticket. There, and there is no money him, in pursuing that. No. I mean, there's money in running and selling, uh, you know, goobers and popcorn. There's no money in monitoring those theaters. I remember one time my friend Ethan and I went to a multiplex to, uh, uh, I forget. Was there girls involved? There might have. It might. It wasn't a date because I, I wasn't. You know, wasn't lucky enough to have dates. But it might have been like a. It was like a teenage situation over there were girls involved, and so I could kind of pretend like maybe it would be a date. Oh. And we wanted to see an R-rated movie, but we were. It was. We weren't like thirteen anymore. We were maybe more like fifteen or sixteen, and so we didn't think it'd be a problem. Uh, and we asked for the R-rated movie. And she said, no, you know, do you have ID? And we're like, no. And she was, and she's like, are you 17? And we're like, of course. <laughs> and she's like, no, you're not. And then we're like, well, give us two tickets for, you know, whatever it was PG. And she was like, no. <laughs> and oh, we're like, no. Shit. And it was my friend Ethan's brother had, uh, had driven us and dropped us off nice enough. He was like two or three years older. So he was like 17 or 18. And he hadn't gone yet. He was still was there. You know, we, we ran and got him and he, he bought us our tickets. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, he bought us, t- but it was like, but I still don't know how that, that got around the rules. I have no, right. I have no respect for people who buy beer for underage kids, but people who who buy, I said the guy who drinks a lot, but 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 somebody buying movie tickets for kids, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but I don't know why she fell for that. She wouldn't fall for our. We'll, we'll just buy the PG, but she somehow <laughs> fell for. I, apparently, once there's a 17 year old involved, you can get anybody into yep. our. <laughs> Show the ID. They 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 can't right. say anything. That's the law. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one adult i think we told her too that he was our parent he's two years older walking so, in yeah, my dad holding my dad a, holding says, a finger under your nose hello <laughs> right. my dad says it's okay oh uh, blade runner i'll tell you what blade runner is a damn borderline movie for a 10 year 10 year 11 year you know there's again there's that that hunger games die hard there's so many movies where i'm like you so can't see this yet but i really i cannot wait till my kid can see die hard yeah. I remember um uh, I was not allowed to read um The Catcher in the Rye. And I don't even know why I wanted to. At some point I'd you know, I'd become a you know, a fairly avid reader and uh, my mom you know, definitely my mom encouraged it and, you know, would would I could buy books, we'd get books at the library. And at some point I wanted to read The Catcher in the Rye because I'd heard it was a cool book or whatever. And she thought about it. I could tell she was really thoughtful and she was like, you know, it's a great book. I can't wait for you to read it, but you're not, you're not old enough yet. And, and I, I would ask like every six months, can I read Catcher in the Rye? Can I read Catcher in the Rye? And eventually she let me and I forget, I don't know how old I was, but you know, maybe like 12 or 13. 
and I read it, and I was expecting it because it had been so set up by her not allowing me to yeah, read it. Like, it would be like Lolita or something. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was going to be like, man, this is going to be some great stuff. And I just remember being bored to tears. I was like, what the hell? It's just a kid walking around. I appreciated that book so much more when I got older. Oh, I, yeah. And you know what? And I wish that's what my mom had said to me. I wish she hadn't made She was thinking too much about some of the content and some of the ideas. And I really, really fundamentally, it was more like, you're you you shouldn't bother reading it now. You won't appreciate it. Right. Again, now in her case, that's the trade-off. That's kind of the trade-off we were talking about. It's a truly great book, but you're not ready for it yet. Well, I'll give it, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this, is movie-wise. It's actually rated G. Content-wise, it's not that bad. Um, But I won't let Jonas watch 2001. Right. Because I strongly suspect he'll be bored to tears, and I don't want him to get it in his head that this movie is bored. Or, or or, I mean, watching the, uh, the ape stuff at the beginning, going like, oh, that is so fake. I wonder if he would think it's fake. Some of it, some of the back, the the the, the staging looks fake. I think the apes themselves are still. I think they're they better than you'd expect. That's that's for right. sure. But no, I'm with you. That would be something that's kind of like me with James Bond and her. Like I was amazed that she could tolerate the pacing to watch Goldfinger like three times now. It's it's crazy. <laughs> there really is a scene in Goldfinger where they just sit on a porch and drink mint julep. <laughs> just it goes on and on, and then they have some discussions about whether they should go in or let James Bond keep doing his thing. James Bond's in the cell. He's out of the cell. He's in that. He's in the. He's in the world's craziest. He's hiding under the world's craziest rec room. My God, what's the guy's name? Ken, not Ken Curtis. What's the guy's name? Ken Adams. Oh my God, that that room. <laughs> I love that room so much. And every time every time we watch it, when Goldfinger leaves to go make his deal with the guy who wants his money back, I always do the same stupid joke. I go, hey, we wanted to play billiards. She laughs a little. <laughs> hey, I, I should go. I got to try to get to this dry cleaner by What six. are we going to do to help people here? I, I, I mean, what do you, your mileage may vary. What do we say? What do we say? I don't, I don't care about the people who think we're nuts, but like, what, what would you say as a good piece of advice? I would say one is, if, it, if it's a movie you consider a classic, you think your kid is almost ready for, watch it yourself. Yeah. With them not there. Yeah. And also, yeah. I would not be afraid to fast over. Yeah. Yeah. Pass, pass forward, <laughs> fast over. Yeah. Yeah. You got to watch it with them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, That's what I think. Still got to hold off on Die Hard, though, I think. We just uh, got into Die Hard this year. Oh, but we, I'm but, so uh, This was the first year. This is a beautiful Christmas movie. 10, ten years That's old. That's just about a perfect movie. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. I had it filed away as something he could watch when he was ten. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on, man. It's always a pleasure. Oh, it is. We should just do this every week and not put it out. No, wouldn't that be good for us? It'd be good for us. Ah, I think we should start our own version of this kids in mind, and we'll do our own. We'll do our own version. We're not going to count the F words. We'll no. just tell you if they swear. No, no, no. We'll make I a, love it. No, ours is, our, our site's going to be called Rats in the Lobby. And we're just going to let you know if, you're, if your kid's a real punk or pussy, just skip it. Skip it. <laughs> Rats in the Lobby. Oh, God. That's the end. That's it.